So hey, welcome to episode 304 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And also joined by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. All righty then. Um, yeah, so let's pick it up where we left off. So I, th- we were talking last week about the uh, the um, the video. I think the the cat's out of the bag now. This uh, that uh, I, I did ch- I did see a screenshot of um, Craig Fiedery, uh doing the video. Um, it was obviously shot at Apple Park, and as we've seen all of the videos this week that are in the WWDC pack. In case people haven't seen it by now, and you're living under a rock with Tammy. Um, then, um, yeah, Apple Park is the backdrop for this thing. And I, it's funny, um, I was chatting with one of our, uh, our friends of the show on, on our, uh, Slack today. We did, we did a, a watch party today. So we, I did one with Tammy and, and Alexis yesterday and I did one today. And it's sort of the idea that, you know, when you went to WWC, you would sort of, you know, make new friends and you would go to all the sessions together. And so we could have a friendly banter, right? So yeah, Ed, uh, Ed and I were watching, um, uh, today and, uh, we were talking about like, like it, it almost looks. I wonder if there's like a virtual backdrop. But then I remember seeing one of the videos yesterday. There was like a glass wall, and you could see shadows of people walking by. Um, so I, that's why I kind of figured this really is Apple Park that they're at. And um, uh, he joked that maybe maybe it was a really good effect that they did. You know. So, but yeah. So that's uh, that's a fact check from last week that the the per Apple iPad Pro rollout video from three four weeks ago was done uh, at Apple Park. So there you go. And we'll, we'll talk a bit more, bit more about that when we get to WWDC. There's a bit of uh, health and safety I want to talk about on that. So, But we'll move on to our Ask MTJC. Do we have any Ask MTJC, Jaime? We've got a couple. First one is from Greg Heo, who quite simply oh, yes. tweets the link to the XKCD <laughs> comic on centripetal versus centrifugal. Centrifugal force. Given yeah. a, a technically follow up too, I guess. Given our, our discussion of that last week, yeah, yeah. No, Mister Bond, I expect you to die. Yes, yes. I mean, the, for those of you driving at home, you know, uh, Doctor Evil or whoever he is, and, and James Bond, he's got him in a big circular device of torture, and and uh, Bond is talking about. Was it Bond who says that? You know, do you want me to die? Th- you expect the centrifugal force to kill well, me? And because Bond is mounted on the inside yes, of yeah. a rotating circular thing, right, right. So he is feeling Cent- centripetal force and believes that he feels the actually fictional force, centrifugal force. I see. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I, I did find, I think I talked to you guys about this on Slack, I can't remember, but I did find a video. So I, I, found, I, I did find that video that, that uses the big lyc- is it lycra um, uh, trampoline, and he puts the objects on, and they, they bend the space, you know, space, the, the analogy of space-time warping. Um and there was another video that I found out after that where uh, uh, a scientist had a tennis ball on a string and he was spinning it around and he was sort of saying this was Newton's idea of what gravity was, that, that it was actually a, right. like a, a ball on the string. But, but you know, Einstein came along with his relativity theory and proved that that's not the case because the guy let go of the string, of course, and, and the tennis ball went flying across in a straight line, like you said, right? Um, 
But he also showed, you know, and it was an interesting place. He was in a science center somewhere, and they had a, a camera mounted above the table, and they could project a grid onto it. So you could see the grid bending, you know, the, to give you the, the visual uh, analogy of a space bending and, the, uh, and, you know, running a ball around this, this heavy object, orbiting it, right? And, and when you looked from above, you saw what we see in all of our Earth projections where the Earth goes around the sun kind of thing, right? But, in, but you don't see the gravity well that's holding, you know, or, or attracting the, the orbiting object, right? So it's kind of cool. You know, depending on it depends on where you look at it from, right? And whether you can see the the bend in space or not. That's my story about that. Anyway, so that's a link in the, that's I've linked that into last week's uh, show notes. So maybe I'll link it again now that I mentioned it. So okay, anyway, let's move on. What else we got, uh, Jaime? This one is from friend of the show, longtime listener Sean Marston, who is replying to Greg here <laughs> on a different yeah. tweet. And Greg has a photo that says, "Was here just a few weeks ago. Great choice." Yeah, WBC twenty. I'm assuming that's on the way to Big Sur. I guess because uh, Sean's tweet is macOS BS. Not entirely <laughs> sure yeah. that that was a good choice. Well, it's funny you should say that, and because and, our friend, of the, our other co-host Tammy, kind of pointed out that that maybe the word sir isn't the best sounding um name given the current you know political and and strifey climate that we're in you know because sir you know master sir kind of like it's too authoritarian yeah like like big sir if you if you didn't know big sir was s-u-r and and I, i'm not sure is it why it's called big sir maybe mark can illuminate us but um those crazy californians i tell you but uh you know i actually don't know let me look that up so but while you're on the subject so my, then, what, my assumption would is that it's some something in spanish okay let's see so while you're doing that like so i guess I, as a californian i have to ask What's the best way to get to Big Sur? It depends where you're coming from. So, <laughs> uh, like like anywhere else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's on the coast on Highway One, ah. which is kind of the the coastal highway. It's not it it is you know it's it's a it's a highway, but it's an old highway, so it's not like a big freeway. Uh, it's just the road that you know that winds up the coast. It's kind of a windy road. So would uh, I take the four hundred one to the two ninety seven and down to number one, or what? Would, how would I get there? There is no four hundred one. There's no. <laughs> There might be a 297, but but uh, anyway, there's no 401. 96. Um, 401, if it did exist, would be on the East Coast. Okay, right. Because, well, okay, yeah, you, you're a you're a Canadian, so I'll forgive well, you. Well, did you know where I was going with the whole Californian thing, though? I know, but I'm gonna <laughs> but I'm gonna school you here. So so it, it depends on whether it's a it's an interstate or yes. a U.S. highway, right, yeah, and and uh, or a state highway for that matter. Uh, so so the interstates, all the odd numbers go north south. Oh really? Yep. And they they actually do start in California. So I guess like I guess there there could be a one interstate one. It's possible, but but it doesn't exist because the, the lowest one is five. Uh, so so the when they built the interstate system, they they're not really a grid, but they sort of are loosely following a pattern. Of it, it, the odd, like I said, the odd ones are north south, and they go 5, 15, uh, 25, 35, 45, all the way okay. to 95, okay. which goes up down the east coast, right? right? Okay. You yep. know, about 95. And the east west ones start from 10 down in on the, you know, close to the border with Mexico through Texas and all that, all the way up to 90, which is, you know, Mass Pike eventually and Seattle. So they all end uh, with 5 and 0, or, or does that just happen to be where they started with? All the interstates uh, end with 
Maybe exactly. they started with five and then gave themselves room between, right? No, they don't. All, no, they don't. They don't all. They don't all end with five or zero. No, they can. There are some that end with with sevens and things like that. Uh, but it's but the odd and even thing is is one hundred percent for sure. Now here's the other interesting thing: the first digit tells you something about what kind of road it is, and by by what kind I mean if they're if they're if it's a one or a two digit, those are like the main base roads, like the five. That's a long road that goes all the way up from you know from the from the Mexico border all. The way up to Seattle. That's a long, long single road, and and ninety goes all the way from Seattle to Boston. Uh, so, so the one and two digit ones are all like that. They they go more or less across the country in one in some direction, either north, south, or east, west. That, but then the three digit ones, uh, the first digit means something. Mm-hmm. So if if it starts with a four, then it's a it's a road that that is that goes around a major city. Okay, like a bypass. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a one is a road that takes you into a major city. Okay. Um, and I forget exactly what a two is, but but a two is something similar as well. And a two is in six. Yeah. Anyway, okay. That's that's your geography lesson for the Thank day. Thank you. We have, we have a similar system like that in Canada. Maybe someday I'll tell you about it. All right. All right. Um, I threw a link in to the Wikipedia entry for Big Sur. It, okay. The etymology of the name is slightly more complicated than I want to go into in the show. Uh, it is indeed Spanish from a longer Spanish name. Uh, Sur meaning south being the most important uh, part. Right. And there's a few roundabout things about it being a big south area. And eventually it was named uh, Big Sur officially in 1915. And now I see from the same article, attractions, the big Bixby Creek Bridge is where Mr. Hio uh, was. Hio oh, yes. Was Look at that. The Bixby yeah. Bridge. Yes. Known for its uh, very pleasing aesthetics. So that's one of the most popular bridges in the area. Cool. All right. Yes. Yes. Greg's been running around with his camera again. All right. Cool. So if, if you do want to get to Big Sur, though, because that's what you originally asked from the Bay Area. With air quotes, uh, I asked, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, from the Bay Area, what you would do is you would somehow get over to the coast, Route One, and, and just drive south. Okay, cool. On Route One, from LA, you'd, you'd drive north. You know what? It's it's funny that you say that because I, I, we did do that once, Carolina. We went down Highway yeah. One to somewhere and checked the yeah. be and then we ended up in scenic, Monterey, I think. And what's uh, what's the place with the with the boardwalk and the and the I think it was like a roller coaster and uh, well, it's a lot of places like that. But you're probably taking a Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just on the way down to to Monterey, yeah. Or as, as Californians tend to say, Santa Cruz. San- Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz, like Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. Santa, Santa Cruz. Cruz yeah. But but I think the the correct pronunciation is more like Santa Cruz or something Cruz? like that. Santa Cruz. Cruz. Santa Cruz. Okay. All right. Oh, well, I mean, you could probably tell us better, right? Yeah. Santa Cruz. But, Santa Cruz. But. That's being said with uh, more of a Mexican-Spanish sort of flavor mm. on it. You would, if you were going to do it, what I assume the way the Spanish conquistadors would have done, it would have kind of a lisping th- like th- th- like Barcelona, Barcelona. Right? Santa Cruz. Like, 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 like think about Antonio Banderas and Santa his Santa accent and, and, and yeah, nail yeah. it. Right, right. Well, I learned to say Barcelona when I was in Barcelona. Moving on. So, following up. Oh, yes. This is interesting. Um, and I know a few people over at Shopify, but it was announced on the uh, by our Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, announced that uh, coming soon, there will be a COVID-19 um, what a contact tracing app that is you know endorsed by Canada and used by Canada and whatever. I believe it's built using the um, Apple and Google um, sort of framework, as it were. Um, but what was more interesting to me was that it, it was built by a couple of volunteer coders over at Shopify in, I believe, I'm going to say Ottawa, Canada. That's where their their head office is, but they're obviously all working from home right now, and some of them are 
in Toronto and various places like that. But yeah, just a COVID-19 app coming in July, I believe, um, called COVID Shield uh, is uh, developed by our pals over at um, Shopify. In fact, one of our friends nice. of the show, um, Dan, who just joined us last week on the, on the um, Friends of the Soul Slack, he works for Shopify as a manager. So yeah, cool. Cool. Looking well. at their open source project, so it looks like the apps for iOS and Android are built in React Native, which definitely makes sense given that you'd, you'd have mm-hmm. less pain trying to get multi-platform support. And the server is a mixture of Go and Ruby, although hmm. I don't understand what the Ruby is there for. It looks like for testing purposes because the server itself looks like it's predominantly Go. The other thing, too, that I forgot to mention, too, is that, is that they've actually put the code up on GitHub. So um, I don't know. I guess that means you could take it, download it, and build it yourself. But uh, is the link in this article? Somewhere? Yeah, at the very bottom it says the find GitHub. out more and it takes you over to the, uh, ah, the GitHub to covidshield.app, which is a nice little yep. microsite that they've created for this that uh, explains what it is, uh, how exposure notifications uh, APIs work, and also very critically that you you cannot download or use this app as is because you may remember mm-hmm. uh, both Apple and Google are going to be approving these, and there's uh, limitations. Mostly around one per country, your mileage or kilometerage may vary depending on your particular country. But it's not like oh, a random person in their basement's app they can get um, approved uh, for many reasons. Um, but I think this is really cool because this goes along the lines of like, why does every country even need to make its own app? That seems kind of silly. Surely you might have your own configurations. You might say, hey, you know, we want to direct people to uh, like your country's version of the Centers for Disease Control and etc. Official resources, but the the main you know, sort of basis of the app itself seems like, yeah, we really should have open source for this and not uh, reinvent the wheel, you know, hundreds of times for this. So, you know, kudos to these folks for doing that. But if you do get rejected, at least you can now appeal. <laughs> 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 all right. You have our sympathies too, of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So how many of you got some follow-up for us? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm calling this follow-up on, uh, on, I'm sure we've talked about ARM based stuff before and uh, spoilers are yeah. the later part of this episode, but, uh, it, it was interesting that even the recent news that the, um, Japanese supercomputer that is ARM based is now the fastest in the world. Really? Hmm. Nice. Fugaku, a computer in Kobe. I don't know what that means. I have to look it up. Kobe is a place. I know Kobe is a place. I don't know what Fugaku is. Hmm. Off to Google. Set to go operational isn't, isn't next ku, fiscal year. If, if the word ends with with ku, that means like I mean that's an old word name for city. So it, I guess it's I guess it would be sort of a neighborhood of a city now, but in the, or maybe it means town, something like that, hmm. something like that. Interesting. Yeah, Google didn't give me a good translation, so I guess it is named after like a town or some sort. Yep. More arm stuff coming later on in the show. All right, uh, where are we here? Yeah, so are we at the big recap now? What do you think? We are. We just dig in. All right, so for those of you living under a rock, um, this week is WWDC. And so uh, we had the keynote on Monday, and uh, I think we all partook in that. And uh, I'm going to say I've probably watched a bunch of videos, but I have a feeling that Mark and Jaime have not had a chance to look at too many of them yet. Um, As I mentioned earlier... That that is correct. As I mentioned earlier, we did a fun kind of thing. Um, I was on uh, another Slack channel chatting with... uh, with Alexis, and he came along and said, "Hey, is there any uh, wa- any um, watch parties around?" And I sort of uh, mentioned the Paul Hudson link, and I went over and signed up. I I 
can't remember. I think I did hear back from them, but I'm not quite sure how that worked. But anyway, so Tammy sort of piped up and said, hey, I'd like to do that right now. So the three of us went over to, fired up a Zoom call and, and uh, agreed to download a video at the same time. And in sync, you know, went one, two, three and clicked a button. And um, I got to say, my favorite feature of the videos is the is the hit the rewind 15 seconds uh, button. I use that one a lot. But uh, the rules of our little uh, watch party were that we weren't allowed to do that. And so I had to suffer through as if I was watching it live, you know, kind of thing, right? So, but it was interesting hearing so, the banter. Which videos did you watch? So I'm we watched. Um, gonna say we watched the What's New in Swift, and we watched um, something else. Uh, but I wanted to watch the What's New in Swift UI, but I got vetoed. But I did watch that one later on that night, and and I'm going to say that that so far was my most uh, enlightening video uh, so far. Let me just see if I can find Swift UI. You said the What's New in Swift UI. I'll talk. I'll talk, oh, I'll nice. talk about that yeah. in a bit. But and, and yeah, I remember, and I told you like, oh yeah, the What's New in Swift one was pretty much a recap of what we've already covered on the show with uh, with what Paul Hudson had on on uh, Raveled and uh, what we've been talking about on Swift uh, Swift.org. This, you know, I think Jaime mentioned a couple of. Uh, Articles, couple last couple of weeks where we talked about the new features, right? Um, I, I don't know if you guys have watched it yet, but it was very much a repeat of that kind of stuff. So if you've already gone through and seen what's on Swift.org, I don't think there's anything really earth shattering in the what's new for Swift, which is a you know surprise to say that after like five years of what's new in Swift being like sort of the one you go to kind of thing, right? Uh, That's actually a really good sign because it means that Switch ha- Swift has finally settled down and matured as a language, and, yeah, and they and they won't be. Making crazy changes every year that force you to refactor everything and breaks your yeah you know breaks your app and breaks your builds. So I'm actually happy about that. So let me jump over to the mm-hmm. developer app because then I was trying to. I thought earlier that today that I saw that you know, there was a section called um, Watch It Again, which I thought was keeping track of what I had actually watched. But oh, continue watching. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's surprising that continue watching works really well because you can actually. I was you know I got called upstairs by Carol and so I took grabbed my iPad and I was able to pick up where I left off right so um so sweet let me look at my favorites that's probably how i can tell but um let's see so i, I watched uh i watched the, the visual editing was 50 UI, which it, it was a good one it's five minutes long like some of them are, are interesting because the talks are only five minutes long i guess we should maybe start with the what with the keynote first right um i'm getting a little ahead of myself here um because because one thing i really enjoyed about the keynote was the fact that um you didn't have to wait for people to walk across the stage you know plus yeah Plus all the demos worked and everything like that. So yeah, let's let's talk about the keynote. Some first. time savings. You know what the biggest time saving was? Not seeing one of those lame demos from some random company oh, wow. <laughs> that just sucks all the life out of the room. Yeah. I mean, I, I I kid a little bit. Yeah. It's a little harsh for me to say it that way, but let's be honest. You know, it, it was nicer not having the like ten up sometimes fifteen minutes of that going on. Mm-hmm. And I, and I do have to say, I didn't miss all the playing to the crowd that they do. Yeah, yeah. That they normally do. Like, you know, all of the, isn't this the most awesome thing you've ever seen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they do a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, whatever. You say that every year. <laughs> just just give us the goods. Yeah. So I was happy about that. I think I'd also say beyond the, the polished aspect in that every single demo works first time every time, of course, because mm-hmm. they can edit if it didn't. And, and that's really nice. Um, it certainly avoids the, oh, no, like face ID didn't work properly kind of, you know, live demo that can go wrong. And I also think that 
it was pretty nice that they had a much more diverse, in many you know different ways to define that, a much more diverse set of presenters. And it wasn't like the same five people that we always see. Those five people were like there, don't get me wrong, but they included a much broader group of people. And, and, and I would say that the ability to not have to worry about, oh my gosh, can can this person handle being on a stage with millions of people watching mm-hmm. at the same time? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and will they get their their five minutes correct? Um, not as much of a concern. Can, yeah, they can they can redo a part if they get it wrong, and they can edit it after the fact. Yeah, exactly. and and I, I paid yeah. attention to the cuts. You really only had to be good for like thirty seconds, and then you could completely right. fall apart. And then they can give you a coffee, <laughs> and then you could start again for the next part. And that's I think that's brilliant because it, I saw all sorts of people. Uh, let's say like job titles. I was like they would never let this person normally just run out into the stage unless they were really clear that they had practiced really well and they were going to be able to handle the mm-hmm. the pressure. So I, I think that's a huge kudos. Um, you know, certainly I, I saw more uh, more women. I saw more people with uh, different abilities. So you, we talked about walking on the stage. There was uh, somebody who uh, had uh, mobility issues. It looked like they had like a like a fancy wheelchair of some sort. That would have been rather difficult to do on stage. And then we had other folks who were um, you know people of color, people who were uh, not just the the director of blah blah blah, not just the manager. It's like oh, this is like an engineer who worked on this. So that's really cool. I, I, I applaud them for that. I didn't see many people talking about it, which I think is a bummer because Apple, I think rightfully so, has been you know beat up uh, over this topic. And I think this year they, they got a lot better at it and hopefully they'll continue to improve. I don't want to forget about this, but uh, did you guys, you guys, have you watched any of the, the videos? There's a recap thing they do every day that... Um uh, there's a, a, a emoji named Serenity comes Serena. up. Oh, Serena. Oh, Serenity. Yeah, that's, that's right. Serenity yeah. Caldwell. I have been watching those. That's Serenity Caldwell. Who's, who's that? She's a Canadian former former podcaster. Now works for Apple. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So she's she's been out there for a while. Anyway, so yeah. So and, and now she's just an an emoji. I mean, mo- yeah, emoji. emoji. Yeah. She's not a real person and, anymore. And, and, well, her name's Serenity. <laughs> it sounds like her voice. So I don't. I don't. I haven't really mm. sort of. Nobody's called it out, but I just happened to notice it today when I watched one of them. So yeah. So a couple, they uploaded her into a server on her first day yeah. of work and no one's ever seen her since. Well, yeah, her, we, we played together at the break notes last year because she was one of the background singers on, the, on James Dempsey. Oh, break. Okay. By the way, as we record, like an hour ago, the, the James Dempsey song uh, premiered um, for WWC. The, the Somewhere Near WWC is the show he does every year at WWC. So this year we did a virtual one. I haven't seen it yet because I was busy with things. But... Um, couple of things here like let's talk about the, some some of the numbers off the top we always ask this question and here it is 23 million developers right which is one of the numbers we're always trying to clamor for when we uh we're doing these the show um of course 100 plus sessions um craig federighi came in and talked about ios 14 uh, no surprises i think we'd heard that the, the home screen was going to get a redo um they've added widgets now which are sort of like i guess they're coming over from the idea of the, what we see on the watch in terms of like notifications and small little sort of snippets of things so you can and we're seeing this in the ipad os where you've got the sidebar and you've got sort of like uh what do you call those things on the that are on the bottom of your phone um and you can edit them and add them it's like oh they're, anyway they're widgets i guess right um all written in 
Swift, by the way, Swift UI, I believe, right? Swift UI. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They've added folders in there, uh, picture-in-picture video, which is something people have asked for on the phone for a long time. Um, and also picture-in-picture on Apple TV, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, apparently it's it's available everywhere now, yeah. which is kind of nice. Which I think a lot of yeah. a lot of what we're seeing, too, in, in especially in like the Apple developer app, is I think we're seeing cat- catalysts all over the place, right? Um, so things coming all over the place. And, and I'll talk a bit about that when we get to the Swift UI, what's new in Swift UI, too. Um, uh, you can hide, you can group things into, into like, I guess, sort of folders. No, not folders, but there's a new I metaphor. I like that. Yeah, you can hide, the app library. You can hide it. entire yeah. things. And app library, right. Yeah. And and it'll yeah. suggest things. Like, it'll time of day or time of you, or when you use things more more frequently, they'll come and suggest the groupings for you, which is nice. I like, kind of like that when yeah. I'm searching for things in my phone. You know, when you do this. I have, I have apps on my phone that <laughs> I, I can used. only yeah. find them. Yeah. Well, yeah, I have ones that I haven't used in 10 years, sure. But, but there are other apps that I use all the time. The only way I can possibly find them is by doing a search, by pulling down and typing it in, or or seeing that it's suggested. If I tr- if I ever try to actually search for it and find it, it's I can't find it. No, I, yeah, I mean, it. like I, I I don't know. I have thousands of probably I don't know. Like, yeah. Over I I'm going to guess and say over a thousand apps on my phone, right? And um, yeah. yeah, like I, there's some I have like and some I haven't even touched in years too, which is another thing too. Um, remember remember back in the day there was a uh, there was a app review site called was it called 148 maybe because that was the number of app slots that you had on your phone and oh really oh, wow. oh i do remember something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. real real yeah. early on yeah mm. that was real early on yeah that was probably 2009 2010 wow wow cool so yeah, yeah widgets on the home screen so we got you know data rich different sizes there's like a today view and the thing i thought about the widgets was the way they described them and the way they appear to work particularly with the smart stack Boy almighty, does that remind me of glances on the watch, right? Did yes, anybody get that? that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Impression? It definitely felt like if you understood or vaguely remember how that worked, I think you'll be halfway there for understanding how this works. And I haven't even seen the session yet. Did glances go away? I can't remember. Glances did go away. They did go away. Yeah, they did go away. But like, you know, there's some analogies here where I, you know, I use my different watch faces on my watch, sort of like a smart stack, like a, like a, a manual smart stack, right? I'll say, okay, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to do this very particular task. Okay, I've got a watch face that has some complications for that. I have, mm-hmm. uh, I'm at work. Cool. I have a watch face that I like to use for work. I have a different watch face that I like to use for non-work or weekend time. And and that works right. pretty well. Now, if they could you just switch automatically really? do that for me, wow. that would be great. And that's what I'm interpreting the smart stack for these widgets to be. Yeah, you can let's have, hope. Let's hope info there, glanceable, and then it can intelligently figure out when you need the right information. Well, do you not notice now on your on your phone that when you go to search for things different during different times of the day, different icons are sort of suggested at the top? This is shortcuts, I think, doing under the mm-hmm. hood doing this, right? So they're building yeah. on that kind of technology, right? Or that, that sort of power. It's very judgy. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll yeah. go to search. It's like, open Twitter? I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. I don't even see. This is why I don't activate the you know, how long have you been using these apps? I know I've been using them too much. Yeah. Anyway, so moving on. So they, 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 the Siri is no longer giving me a full screen thing, which is great. It's now going to be a little bubble at the bottom, uh, kind of like HAL 9000. Um, but it, interesting stats there, 25 billion requests a month of, of that people are asking Siri questions, you know? Um, it's good to be the default, right? Like you have to go out of your way if you wanted to use uh, Amazon 
Amazon's or Google's equivalent. It's, it's definitely nice to have the, the basic part of it that everybody's going to use work. And they finally added the universal translator to the iPhone. So now the, now that Siri and Siri and, and um, um, machine learning and natural language engine can interpret what you said and translate it into another language and apparently all on the device. So it's not actually going into the cloud to do the translation, which I think is super cool. Um, that's really neat. Um, what else do they do? Yeah, conversations. And that's a different kind of... Was that, is that what they're calling messages now? They just sort of glommed it in. I think you were talking about the fact you can pin conversations and you can at mention people. Um, yeah, it's still the messages app, but you, like like you mentioned, you can pin conversations so that they stay at the top yeah. of the list. Like, yeah. I think the example they brought up is, you know, your family or friends that you you normally, you know, have a group one for, like, your entire family. You know, what are we eating for dinner tonight? Oh, I don't know. Let's get pizza. You know, that sort of thing. You don't have to go digging through the list of all of the other conversations you had. And they added some nice things there. And can you recall messages? I think we talked about that, but did they actually bring that one up? Oh, I don't know. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. But yeah, there may be, it may be something in there, but yeah, I don't know. Threading for for inline replies is pretty nice. Yeah, Craig didn't say anything recallable. So, I mean, (laughs) memorable, but not recallable. Um, Do we have to talk about Memoji? So here's the thing. Every single speaker introduction video has a Memoji of them. Before they before they show the actual person on the screen, and I think we Mark, you talked about this before that in previous uh, WWDC when you saw the videos, you didn't see the actual speaker, right? Uh, in the early years, you never did. Yeah, yeah. Now you do a lot. Yeah. Now now they've got like a sort of picture in picture thing with the, with the speaker there, and sometimes they're full screen again with a gorgeous Apple Park drop ba- uh, backdrop and all that kind of stuff too. Um, yeah. So Memoji, I'm gonna say this: <laughs> one trillion ways to customize your Memoji. I still think it's not enough. Um, not a big fan of them, but uh, and but face coverings have come to Memoji, which makes you know interesting sense, right? And woohoo! Yeah, they call it face coverings, which yeah. like, what do you mean, like 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 eye patches? No, these are face masks, the kind that you well, would be wearing. There are the kinds wearing. of face coverings too, though that that predate, um, and some of them are controversial, but they predate the the uh, COVID, right? So I wonder if they they didn't have those in before, right? I mean, I just thought it was a weird term because the one that they showed was. Yeah, the, the, the like a like mask, a surgical yeah. type mask. You know, it mm-hmm. has that style to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So definitely leaning into the the realities of the pandemic and, and this WWDC live online only remote edition. Yeah, yeah. So um, they've re- redone the map for you guys in the U- U.S. and United States of America. So you've got this really new cool map that they rolled out a month or so ago. Apparently, they're saying more accurate. It has the look around feature, which is what are the street views? What Google calls it, but they they have look around. Mm-hmm. They're claiming privacy again. Like it's all it's all sort of happening, you know, within within the device and that kind of stuff. Like the routes you take, they're not sent up to some cloud somewhere telling you what the traffic patterns are. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, and apparently they're going to add UK and Canada soon. Woo-hoo. And Ireland. And Ireland. Yeah, I missed Ireland. Sorry, <laughs> I Ireland. You pick Sorry. Up Canada. <laughs> Sorry, Ireland. Well, I, I, got, I got stuck on Canada. What can I say? Um, and then, but yeah, the other thing, cool thing is cycling. So Meg Frost is one of the presenters you talked about. Um, talked about cycling. Cycling and how when you do a route now you can do a route obviously and it'll take you on the bike pass and stuff like that but you can decide whether or not you can look at the elevation you're going to be riding decide whether or not that's too steep and maybe you want another route uh, it'll tell you if you have to carry your bike up a set of stairs 
I guess that's important in San Francisco, but um, you know, it can, you can sort of look at that, which is kind of cool. And uh, also for EV or uh, electronic vehicles, or what do you call them? Uh, what do you call these electric vehicles, right? Um, who have range anxiety, which is a new term. Um, they can tell you based on the model of your car, or the make of your car, which routes to take, so that you'll always have a charger somewhere along the route that you can charge your car, right? So. I don't, I, do you guys know anybody who has electric cars, like Teslas? Yes. So, mm-hmm. yep. do how long does it take to charge one of these babies? Like, depends. Depends what kind you have. Uh, Tesla has these super power stations that you can yeah. you can fully charge a thing in like an hour or two. Oh, so it's not you, like going to the gas station and getting like a tank of gas and you're out in twenty minutes, right? Well, the super power one actually probably is. Okay. I, I, I think even when I said an hour or two, that's that's probably too long for the super power one. Okay. Okay. Because I think I think the intention is that it is like going to a gas station. But normally, a regular one, I think people generally will just kind of plug it in overnight. Yeah, trickle charge, yeah. Overnight. yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. And and so another thing about the driving, which is kind of cool, is is we don't do this here in Toronto. We probably should have congestion zones, right? And as some, uh, like China, they mentioned specifically, and I think they showed a map of Paris. I, I know Paris is, I've driven in Paris during rush hour. It's, it's horrible. Um, and uh, so they have congestion. And they can tell you whether you're in, going into a congestion area or if you want to go to green zones, which are to sort of control the amount of uh, polluting that cars are doing. And one of the benefits of COVID right now is we're not doing as much polluting to the environment since we're doing less driving and less, you know, boating around in, in Venice and things like that. But, oh, yeah, so and what's cool is is that if you're in China, you, apparently you have to you can add your license plate, your license to the, the app, and it'll tell you whether or not you're allowed to go into the congestion area on the on your prescribed day, whatever that is, odd or even days. I don't know how they do it down there. But that that's kind of cool that they can actually manage that kind of stuff. It's something we need in Toronto because we have a lot of a lot of people driving into the city. I'm sure most me- most metropol- metropolises do right. Um, have a lot of a lot of issues with cars coming in and, and plugging up the roads right during during normal times, not COVID times, but right. Yeah, and I, I definitely would like the option of adding my driver's license to my phone. Uh, I wouldn't want to replace the physical license, but having it as a as a bag of oh no, I forgot my wallet. Well, yeah, doesn't matter. I've got my phone. So we're adding. So here here's another angle too. We're adding uh, uh, our car insurance uh, uh, thing. You can carry it digitally on your on your your phone now. But here's a here's a following up from last week, right? So if a cop asks you for your license and you have to use Face ID to open your phone, are you not handing them now an open phone? Yeah, that is a consideration, which is why I don't want <laughs> yeah, my yeah. my license to only be on my oh, okay, phone. Yeah. And it's yeah. even better if it was available, like the um uh, like the emergency contact sort of card. Mm-hmm. You know, if they, they mm-hmm. find you passed out on the street, they can figure out that you're you know allergic to penicillin or etc. Sure, um, sure. I think something like that would be useful for the reasons that you just hinted at there. So we always kid about the dongles, and um, uh, Emily Sherbert came on and talked about the most expensive dongle that we've seen so far, which is the BMW 5 Series. <laughs> and that's a, a dongle for what feature, guys? Talked about last week, keyless entry. Did they give it a brand name? Oh. Yeah, they didn't say keyless entry, but the, but yeah, that's uh, I, that's what I have in my notes. So maybe that's what they start and unlock your car, uh, stored in the secure element. You can share you can share keys with people. Uh, you can also, also restrict the key you give to somebody. Like if you want to give it to a teenager, you can say, no highway driving for you, young man. I don't know what that'll do. It won't go on the highway or something, but, or maybe it'll drive, like, it'll only work between certain hours and that kind of stuff, right? So, and apparently, mm-hmm. this is also going to be backwardly compatible with iOS 13, which is kind of cool, right? This car. Yeah, that is pretty nice, actually. Super nice. Yeah. Super nice. And apparently, they're working on standards with other with other um, manufacturers. Um, they're using the UI, U1 
one chip for this, for which has some sort of spatial awareness built into it. Um, that that will be able to use. So it won't be the only the BMW dongle won't be the only dongle you'll have to buy for this to use this feature. Yeah, the UW sorry the U1 chip I should say is U1, yeah. pretty nice because it sounds like you can just leave your phone in the bag or pocket. You can still continue to start the car even if you don't put it on the the fancy little recharging pad that the BMW 5 Series has. But I I understand even though they didn't talk about this that um, people who, who know this sort of thing are claiming that oh it probably is also a way to help um, reduce the possibility of replay attacks that people can do with like you know get a signal from you know, intercept a signal between your car and your your device and then when you're away from the car replay that signal to um, to enter into your car right like like cloning your your your, your key fob in this case a bit like, well your phone is nowhere near we can't detect the U1 chip but therefore we should not open the car is what I believe that's being used for in addition to the the, the user nicety of not having to, to pull the phone out and put it in a certain place it, it also seems from my understanding to be related to security as well so 12 years ago Apple opened the App Store and the new feature on the App Store is the App Clip which is like a I guess a snippet of code that um, runs or, or basically brings it's kind of like um, like the banner thing it's I'm, it, I'm, I'm not quite 100% sure on this yet but it brings a portion of some information from your app to the phone and I think you can download it when you hit open it downloads the app is that what I'm understanding correctly do you guys know I, I think the idea is that you trigger it in a in a you know one of a various number of ways like scanning a QR code or, or getting a, a link through Safari or or you know or through a text message or maybe even be in some location or you know with NFC or something like that and it triggers it and and then it and then this this little mini app will download because it's very small download and pop up and let you just see some relevant content from the app without actually having to download and install the entire app uh, from the app store and then if you do like it you know maybe maybe it's it's just enough to you just interact with it and you're done but if you do like the app or want to do more with the app then you tap a button and it will go and actually install it from the app store and do more nice cool yeah, yeah. so it's a little bit it's a little bit like an extension except an extension that uh, you don't actually have to have the original app installed to use and I think it's more my my sense is that they're meant to be more media rich than extensions generally are mm-hmm. okay. yeah it's very similar to app slices or instant apps from the Android side of the house um, there are some differences in that uh, you know this is really focused on getting you not having to actually do much of anything to, to interact right so signing with Apple so you don't have to create a new account uh, even with nice things like like one password existing this can still be a hassle but using sign with apple you've got a you know one touch login button very similar to logging in with facebook or google and you've also got apple pay so you don't even have to worry about oh i've got to type in my credit card information no you don't you just use apple pay to pay so you you've solved a lot of the the problems you would have with like oh i really just want to pay for this parking meter which is the one that they brought up as an example right there's dozens of those apps i always have to look at the the graphic every once in a while to see like do i have the right app or do i need to download another one well it would be nice to just have a clip which apparently they are less than 10 megabytes in size not very difficult to, to get even out in the street and apparently you can also continue going on like mark mentioned with you know it's it's not just this separate little app it is a part of your app that you can have out there that people can go download as well and presumably pick up where you left off um i think this will be or at least it has the potential to be very similar to 
Apple Pay, which Apple Pay was not first for NFC payments, but really uh, dragged the whole industry forward a lot faster than it had been, uh, even though the Android side had had NFC payments for a long time. The uh, instant apps have been around for quite a while, like three years maybe by now. Um, as far as I can tell, they're not really a huge deal. Why? Because I think the incentive, if you're a, a company, is, well, cool, we can do this this one cool thing for Android. Can we do it for iOS? No. Well, it's not bothered, right? Because right? <laughs> we're not going to have feature parity. Now this has feature parity. So people say, hey, you know the experience we would design for an instant app on Android? That's pretty much the same experience we would design for an app clip on iOS. And I think there's going to be a whole bunch of these things uh, being created just because of that. You know, things of like, hey, well, we planned, you know, three years ago to do this and we could. And I was like, yeah, because people want parity, right? No, no product manager necessarily wants like, hey, here's this thing I can do on just one platform, right? And, and if you were going to pick a platform, you're probably going to pick iOS because people tend to have bigger wallets when they can afford, you know, $45,000 dongles for their, for their phone, <laughs> right? Let's just where the money is. So I'm not saying that it should be that way. I'm just saying it is that way. So I'm pretty excited about this one. I fully expect that there will be uh, tons of, uh, you know, conference talks about, you know, architecting your app for app clips because it'll, it'll be good practice, I think, right? Breaking your, your app up into smaller reusable modules so you don't go nuts trying to rebuild your entire interface just for the clip. Cool. All right. So moving on, we have the iPad. They're, they talked about. They're talking a lot about this. I watched the, the designing for iPad session today. Um, very distinct ex- experience is what Apple is expecting to to have. Um, they've got the pencil availability. They've got the lidar for the AR kit and gaming kind of stuff. Uh, the you know the lidar sensor on the back of the thing. Um, they're talking about now uh, designing for the iPad specifically. Like again, I, I'm I, personally I was an iPad first developer back in 2010 when it first came out. That's the reason. I got into iOS, um, but Josh Schaefer, the I guess he's the iPad guy, uh, showed up and, and talked about uh, the new photo browser with this new sort of. Uh, they talked about the sidebar a lot, which is and it, this is a thing where it seems to be unique to what they're saying is unique to, to iPad and it's sort of like the split view controller we used to use back in the day. You can now have content rich stuff on the sidebar. It's sort of like we have in in the Notes app where you've got your your notes listed, but you can also open up another panel on. The, to the left of it, which shows all of the, all of the sort of content you have in the cloud and all that kind of stuff, right? So, um, giving you another area where you can either, if you're in landscape or portrait mode, you can ha- swipe in from the left and have a whole series of information there, uh, always visible, kind of like we do with with mail, where you have like the folders. I'm talking about the mail and the app on the Mac, where you have mail folders and you have your your messages in a, in a sort of list view, and then you have the actual message you're currently reading, kind of thing. So they're looking at that kind of experience coming to the to the iPad as well. Or, be, or being capable, um, they're also getting out of the way of the user. Like a lot, like I talked about earlier, with Siri being sort of a full screen experience is now just a little sort of thought bubble at the bottom. Um, they're talking about like if you get a phone call. Or I don't take many calls on my iPad, but if a call comes in, it'll now be a smaller uh, area of the screen real estate. Or if you're in renaming a photo, for instance, they won't you know bring up an entire dialog box that blocks the whole modal experience. You know, modally blocks everything 
else. It'll, it'll just be like uh, a label becomes active or becomes a text message or text view uh, underneath an image, and you can you can see all the other images on the page while you rename this one particular one image. So that's kind of cool. And um, searching, like uh, right now, I can do search on the iPad, but again, it's a full screen thing where you know you kind of drag down from the top of the screen and you start typing in your search terms. Now it's more like Spotlight, which I've got the term right this time, Greg. Um, so now it's like Spotlight on the Mac, where you've got the laws engine, you type in what you're looking for, and then it suggests things to you, right? So that's kind of cool. Um, but for me, the big thing it was was they've added the Newton OS into. I mean, sorry, they've uh, they've added handwriting into um, handwriting recognition into the iPad. I'm a huge pen pencil user, and I would probably use my pencil more if now that now that we've got this scribble technology um, where you can write in cursive or in in letter letter style, um, and it will automatically uh, interpret what you've written and turn it into um, into uh, text, which you know. Um, um, sort of San- or Sherlock's our friends over at Nemo who who made an app a note taking app for doing exactly that thing too right um, Scribble is actually on the Palm Pilot though isn't it um, but I, the name the name language. Scribble maybe the name well they had yeah. this thing called Graffiti yeah. they had a thing called Graffiti and oh was it Graffiti so yeah, Newton, right. what, yeah. Newton's Newton's handwriting was, okay. wasn't very good Palm had this way of writing what they call Graffiti where you had these ligatures you would make and the ligatures represented a letter so you had to learn to to write the ligature too, like it was called graffito or graffito. It was like writing in shorthand. Yeah, yeah. But and there's a lot of there's a lot of people under forty looking around saying, "What the hell is shorthand?" Right yeah, now? exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, um, anyway, they're calling it scribble, and it's it's basically write anywhere on the screen. Like if a text field is active, you can write anywhere on the screen. It will then take the text or take your scribbled characters, interpret them, and put the text into the text view for you, which is kind of cool. And but it also also recognizes. Chinese, which I think is huge for that for the you know the Asian market of, of you know Korean and Chinese and all the various you know um, character driven languages, right? So that, that's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, so I'm like I'm really happy about that when I joked about it by posting a picture of my Newton going Apple's finally added a handwriting. But um, yeah, um, we want to move on to AirPods, AirPods Pro, which apparently are, are things that some people buy. None of us have an AirPod Pro in this group of developers here, right? Do we? No, I do not. Been considering it, but I think I'm going to wait. <laughs> the cool thing is they've added uh, they've added uh, spatial audio to AirPods Pro, which is kind of neat. You can maybe now we don't have to go to the movie theater to get that you know the, the awesome sounds. They got they're supporting 5.1, 7.1, and they're also supporting Dolby Atmos with that. Uh, that's kind of cool. They talked about the watch. Kevin Lynch came out and talked about the watch again. Um, I don't know what was Surf Watch about. I made a note of that. I can't remember. Was that about like is that about Surfing and Glow Baby and Run Club. I don't remember why I wrote those down. Yeah, I don't remember that either. You can share watch faces now, which I didn't know was a thing or a thing that people wanted. Um, better maps on watch. Uh, you get the, the cycling stuff again, with I was talking about before with the, with the phone and the iPhone. iPhone, you can have like cycling courses and it gives you elevation and navigation. It even shows you where repair shops are in, in your in, during your cycling session. Um, Another lady named Jules, I didn't catch her last name, came out and talked about the workout. So here's something. I love Carol. She's a dancer, right? And she's always told me, and I believe her because, you know, she told me, that um, 
dancing is a lot of work. It's very, it's very strenuous. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it's right up there with athletic, any kind of athletic pursuit. It's a lot of energy, you know, a lot of in, uh, exercising required, and it's very intense. They finally added dance to the workout app. So, and they've renamed the workout app. Um, they're calling it. What are they calling it now? Fitness. Fitness. Thank you. So yeah, it, it's cool because it can, it can, it can track whether you're moving your your upper arms, your how your arms are moving, and also how you move your legs. And so vertical and horizontal arm moving and lower be- lower body movement, which I didn't catch the name of. And, of course, as soon as I told her that, she says, yeah, but they don't have, uh, what's it called, Aquafit. Apparently she goes and does, ex- she has this thing where she gets in the water and they do exercises in the water. And her complaint is that her watch won't recognize that as exercise. So you can't win is my point, is why I'm telling you this part of the story here. So you can't win. Anyway, but, yeah, so I think it's cool that they've added dance to, I'm sure dancers around the world are, are rejoicing they're they're doing you know pas de deux and pirouettes and all that kind of stuff around this news um also adding to the to the watch about it's is this the watch i believe so the, the sleep tracking or the sleep mode um they're adding in new experiences and like in terms of it'll you can set a schedule like you can say hey i want to have like seven hours or eight hours of sleep a night um and need to get up to go to work at such and such a time it will remind you to go to bed at a certain point in time as opposed to just letting you stay up and watch WWDC videos it'll it'll prompt you to go to sleep and then keep track of how you're doing um in sleep mode as well right and uh, much and a simplified more fa- simplified face for when you're sleeping um this story got a lot of attention hand washing is now a feature in the watch um kind of timely you i know, suppose do, do people actually do you actually wear your watch while you're washing your hands or do you take it off i wash my hands with my watch on yeah yeah i don't take mine off to wash my hands it's waterproof no. man you, Come put on. It, you put it in your pocket <laughs> i guess it, i guess it's waterproof well do you wash yeah. all the way up your forearms or what like uh, how these days i do yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and go with yeah. the, the doctor style. Yeah, I'd have to take it off yeah. and put it in my, yeah. my pocket if that was the case. Do you? Yeah, I, I used yeah. to do it when I was washing the dishes, but I've, I've since learned that I can actually wash dishes without getting my entire hand in the water, right? So, um, yeah, no, I, I've been washing my hands with my watch on like a, like an animal. But, uh, yeah, so, but, but apparently you will... It senses it can se- the app will sense whether or not it hears water, running water, so it knows that you're in, in doing the activity of washing your hands, so... With a handy countdown, so you don't have to do whatever it is you do to. You're not saying happy birthday anymore, or no? I stopped doing that the the happy birthday twice thing. Yeah, and I went with the the Ducktales theme music. Ducktales. You you weren't doing the Rip Roll song. (laughs) No, I don't know where to where to stop on that one. Mm. Yeah, you can't stop. I know that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) But the Ducktales one, it's it's easy. After the third, then you're done. Oh yeah, if you remember. If you're like me and, and remember that show from the '80s, or I guess the the revival, the reboot mm-hmm. uh, here in the in the 2010s, they could start last year in the 2019. Um, uh, you'll you'll no longer have to do that to and, and be really good at keeping time to to do that. Now you can just let your watch tell you. I guess yeah. it gives you like a notification or a buzz of some sort. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it gives you a little happy sound, and you get so now balloons. you don't even have to know how to count to 15. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you get points for exercising your hands. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so the, the other thing they talked about was Apple privacy. Of course, they talked about building how it's built in. We've talked about this many times on the show. Uh, data minimization, in other words, not uh, the de- data that gets sent off the phone is not uh, is the minimal amount they need. Um, using on on device intelligence um, is secure and transparent. They're also being transparent about what they're doing with your device, your information. So again, like your cycling routes and all that kind of stuff.
stuff that gets whatever gets sent to Apple is not uh, identifiable. It's not you know. Uh, it's just a minimal amount of information that they would need to do what they need to do to tell you what they need to tell you. Um, the other cool thing they talked about was sign-in with Apple, which I thought was kind of cool. Like 200 million accounts on sign-in with Apple already. Uh, Kayak alone, Kayak is, a, I guess, a reservation system, uh, hotels, yep. right? They they have uh, twice as many customers that use sign-in with Apple when they sign with that service, which is kind of cool, which is coming, is that you will be able to soon be able to convert existing logins to sign-in with Apple. So, like, if you have, I mean, when I see it, I tend to use it. But, but again, I get to have that goofy double Apple ID thing. But, yeah, if I've been using it a lot lately when I see it now. And I'm seeing it more on my Mac and on my iPad and stuff like that, uh, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, that's neat. Oh, apps now have to ask if they're going to track you, right? Uh, if if you're if you're capturing information about your users, Apple uh, developers now have to go in and, and tell Apple like there's a, a new requirement on App Store Connect where you have to tell um, your users what you're tracking about them, right? Do you guys you guys cut that part, right? Yeah, it's this new App Store policy, but it's weird because it's self-reported. Yeah, um, <laughs> which I mean, it'll be fine. <laughs> the the good thing is that Apple, uh, the 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 good side of Apple being able to just hit people over with a hammer is if they discover that you're not self-reporting correctly, they can and will remove you from the App Store just to teach you a lesson. Right? They they have that ability to do that. So it's kind of in your best interest to follow their uh, neutral label metaphor and, and mark things appropriately. And they talked about the, the microphone and camera usage will now show up in the status bar, very similar to the way that uh, location services, when an app fires that up, you, you get to know. And that's a pretty good one because, yeah, you know, it's pretty reasonable. Like, oh, yeah, you know, this app is all about, you know, recording voice memos. So I sure would like to have it access the microphone. True. But only when I'm actively using that feature. It shouldn't, therefore, be able to just listen willy-nilly when I have the app open, but I'm not using it. Right, that's creepy and weird. So I, I like the fact that they've added this. Yeah, and you can see the privacy statement on apps before they're downloaded to before you download it to your device. So you, I can't tell you a number of times over the years I've downloaded an app that I didn't intend to want to create an account on on a server of some type, or whatever, only to find out after I downloaded it that I had to create an account to, to some sort of third party. That, yeah, so I, I have tons of apps in my in my graveyard of a phone, uh, looking for suggestions as to where to put them. HomeKit, so yeah, Home, they're um, they they're working with third parties. They're now creating an alliance with Amazon and Google. I have tons of devices here. We try to buy things for HomeKit, but sometimes we we have things that, that aren't. So hopefully they'll start to get more and more across. They've they've open sourced HomeKit so that uh, uh, people can can you know uh, start writing for it specifically. So I guess because it's, it's sort of a, I don't know if you guys noticed at all, if you have any electronic devices like home devices or home automation devices, there seems to be three camps right now, Amazon, Google, or Apple. Um, some of the Amazon and Google tend to work together a lot, but HomeKit's sort of been the, the orphan in a sense. So I guess this is one of the reasons why they're doing this. Um, new things in lighting where you can, the lighting can be adaptive. It can have a different kind of color during the morning when you're, when you're trying to wake up and change, you know, take blue out of the color when you're winding down at night. Um, cameras that are used in in, uh, in HomeKit. There's a lot of end-to-end encryption in HomeKit uh, built in so that, you know, cameras uh, information is is private. 
that um, you can now use contacts, uh, like if you have a door, a doorbell or door camera, it'll recognize people who uh, you have designated through face, facial recognition from your photos and your contacts, which is kind of cool. Um, Apple TV, be able to resume. Give, oh, this is yeah, this is an interesting one. You can now have multiple users on an Apple TV, right, for switching between games. Is that correct? Yeah, and that 100% makes sense. And it made a lot of people upset that you're unable to do the same for your iPad. Oh, really? Yes. The, the classroom experience. Um, mm. Gotta fork out your money, kids. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty nice that, you know, you can set up different game profiles because um, it, it, it just makes sense to be able to switch between those profiles, right? You know, um, pretty nice that they're uh, also... Did, did you mention the live view of who's at your door related to HomeKit? Uh, well, I was just talking about the facial recognition, but I didn't necessarily call it specifically that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when you're watching Apple TV Plus and somebody comes to your door, you can see a little picture in picture of like, who oh, is this that? is all oh, on your okay. Apple TV. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Cool. And so the big story, big sir story is uh, Mac OS. Obviously, this one goes to 11, as Mark joked on the, during the keynote, and I totally missed it. Um, yeah. So um, I didn't make that joke though. Who made? I I was just I was just pointing out that I noticed on the slide that, that they said it was version 11. Oh, did they? And I was asking about it, but I but I didn't make the goes to 11 joke. Somebody else did. I technically uh, didn't either. I just said that people need to start cranking up the uh, Spinal Tap memes, which means. Like, it goes no. to 11. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So it's Jaime. I, I it technically, Jaime. I technically okay. did by the letter of the law here did not make Cause I'm, cause I, the I, joke. I saw your I comment on Slack and I went, what does that mean? What did I miss? I made the you meta know? comments oh, about the, the presumed existence of said jokes. Yes. Well, I, I didn't. I, so I, I, I did, I missed the numbering, but I did eventually catch up with you guys after a bit. When they I mean, they didn't call it out. It was like, you had to really, I was on the see, slide. Blink and you miss it sort of thing on the, on the screenshot as it came out of, so, you know, here's what the system is. We were talking about this on the release notes uh, happy hour thing just a, a few minutes ago before the show, um, that, what, 1999 is when beta came out for Mac OS X, as it was called back then. Don't at me. Wasn't it before that? I don't remember. It was around 99. Let's So, so it's been pretty much 20 yeah. years that we've been, or 10 years? How many? Yeah, 20 years. That's 20. 20 years. 20 years that we've been, that we've had Mac OS X, and now we finally got yeah. to 11. So, yeah, and which, I mean, they could have gone to 11. And, yeah. Did you notice that they wrote it out as the numeral 11? Oh, they didn't do XI? XI. Oh, yep. right. yep. that's because I'm old and they, I, wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to make that transition, Mark. Sorry. Um, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so new design. They, so I don't know if you noticed, but I call them, I'm calling it skeuomorphic because it's kind of got shadows now and it's got shape on the icons. And uh, I noticed that some of the new... Um, huh, it was 2001 that it was first released. Okay, 10.0. close enough. I was off by yeah. two years. It's like a Microsoft error. Final release of Mac OS 9 was in 1999. Oh, okay. And it was around there somewhere. Okay, 2001. Yeah. All right. When was the beta? When was, was the beta? Well, it would have been probably early probably early 2001 or maybe 2000. Yeah, I think. Because if they released it in March... Yeah, it was released in March 2001, so it would have been 2000 probably. Yeah, yeah. Because it was like it was like a six month or nine month beta, right? Yeah, yeah. and you had to pay ninety nine dollars to get it. Um. Anyway, uh. Yeah. So. Yeah, they, 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 I noticed that some of the behaviors in the menus um, seem to be behaving like the iPad that we've been having when you when you roll your cursor over or your mouse over them. Um, they sort of transform the same way that and they highlight the same way that uh, Apple TV or the iPad OS does, um, which is kind of cool. Um, control, control Center on the Mac, coming to the Mac. I'm not sure we didn't sort of have that already with this 
I guess it's a quicker way to get the things, right? Like uh, I use Control Center on my iPad all the time. Yeah, yeah I mean, and in, in the fact that it's customizable is nice too. Yeah, uh, right. As I've got, you know, a whole bunch of, I forget what these things are called in the upper, like in, in the status bar, it's like Charms or some other similar name. <laughs> I have a whole bunch of these little icons like, oh, you know, here's my Bluetooth uh, status. Here is, you know, my time machine status. Here's like a whole bunch of that stuff could go away if I had a really easy Control Center like place to put it. So have you have you used the, the app called Bartender Three, which is basically the same idea? You can hide, you can group and hide um, these these little icons across your screen because, like, if you're doing presentation video, sometimes they're distracting. So you can use Bartender to hide them. Anyway, that's another app. I've heard of it, Sherlock. but used it. <laughs> that's been Sherlocked by this feature. Um, yeah, I mean, mind you, many things have been been over the years have been Sherlocked. You mean it's been spotlighted by that feature? Spotlighted. No, I'm just messing. <laughs> yeah, yes, you are. <laughs> yes, he's messing with me, Jake. Greg, help me. Um, so the new the new maps is coming over to Mac OS ten. Yeah, no, not ten. Ma- See, Mac we, we have to get away from oh, saying 11. that. It, it'll 11. Be- yeah, just Mac OS. Now. Yes, Mac, Mac OS. OS. Big Sur. Mac OS. Mac OS. Yes, yeah. coming to a Mac yeah. OS to a near you. Yeah, it's got the uh, indoor indoor maps is kind of cool too. When you're, if you can go to a mall, which apparently now we can, you could sort of go and see, look at an indoor indoor map and find out where things are. Um, they've changed the name to Mac Catalyst. I don't know if you guys caught that. Um, so, and and an example they used for Mac Catalyst was the Swift Playgrounds app on Mac. They could have also used the app developer app, but I guess that's another story. Um, yeah, so so it's a catalyst example. Um, they're calling Safari. But, you know, it makes you wonder: Do you really? Does anyone really need Catalyst anymore? If all of these apps are going to run natively on the new hardware? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I've seen a lot of discussion. I think you they- guys are skipping ahead, but yeah. No, right. yeah well, yeah. I mean, even if we didn't have the, the the part of the discussion that's going to come after we talk about Safari, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a weird bit of timing for Catalyst, given that it came out when Swift UI came out, which sort of like, well, yeah, it's it's a little less painful to do Catalyst in order to get over to Mac. But if you have the option of going Swift UI, you probably should just start with Swift UI in, in iOS oh, yeah, 13. Yeah, yeah. And I think and even doubly more so in, in oh, iOS we're gonna get to that 14 in a and too, in Mac hopefully. OS, where like they, they doubled down even more on things like the, the widgets. So um, I, I think Catalyst is probably like a unnecessary stepping stone, but I, I don't think that it would, I don't think it'll have a very long life uh, for Swift UI and uh, topic after Safari reasons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, since we're there, uh, Safari, they're calling Safari the world's fastest desktop browser. Do you guys believe that? I don't know. They're saying 50% they say faster than Chrome. I don't know. They say that a lot. There's some benchmark they do where it's faster. Than yeah. Maybe maybe Google does some other benchmark and it's and then Chrome's faster or something like that. Hard to say. Yeah, they're saying also that it was the first browser to have privacy cookies blocking and, and blocking tracking as well, ad tracking. I think that is true. Okay. Yeah, no, okay. I do remember that, that. So, yeah, they did a um, privacy report on Safari. I can't remember why I wrote that down. Oh, monitors. Oh, yes, they're now adding monitoring safe part passwords, which is a feature in uh, um, in uh, one password. I don't know if that's true in uh, LastPass and those tools, but like that's one of the things that'll tell you when the, when you've been pwned, as it were. Have I been pwned? Um, uh, they're extending web extensions. New Catalyst app for the maps. They're tool. implementing the web extensions API, which right. 
I know Firefox does. I don't know if, if Chrome does. So that's nice to be able to add extensions using that, that open standard. They're not particular to, to Safari. Um, and it's pretty cool that they added the fact that you can limit which sites extensions have access to instead of giving them access to everything. Mm-hmm. And you can choose time-limited access, which is nice. Yes. That's yeah, really so cool. Just a day, just the site, or always allow. Well, what I'm wondering is uh, Chrome has a feature where you go to a page that's not in your native language. It will prompt you and say, would you like me to translate this right. page for yes. you? Yes. Is, is that what that feature is for Safari? Maybe, maybe. Let's, let's, let, I might cut it. We'll see. So then we came back to Tim Cook again, which tells us we're coming up to the big announcement of the day, the one more thing kind of thing. Um, and that is, of course, which we've talked about many, many times. He talked about the three major transitions that have happened over the years with Apple. Um, one was going to PowerPC. One was going to Intel, and I can't remember what the third one was. I mean, we've been talking about this last, last right. three weeks, right? <laughs> um, anyway, they're I, calling it. They didn't call it ARM by any by its name. They called it Apple Silicon, right? Right. And, arm wrestling Intel with Apple Silicon would be the headline. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the newspaper. <laughs> right. Uh, ten generations of ARM chips that they've had over the years. They've, they started with iPhone first, and then iPad. Retina needed a custom chip, so they went to that. Um, and then the A5, Apple's A5X started the translation to this stuff. Uh, 100, 100 times faster, a 1,000 times faster uh, graphics over the years. Uh, lower power for the Apple Watch was another requirement that they needed, so they built their own chip for that. And um, 2 billion, it says 2 billion SOC, so that's 2 billion system on a chip, so what does that mean again, Mark? Uh, two billion transistors. Transistors. So a system on a, mm. a system on a chip is is a term that's been around for a long time. Even when I was in the semiconductor industry, it was it was around. It's the in the in the early days of chips, you would have you would have a chip would be a would be something that had a certain purpose. And if you wanted to make a big circuit, you'd wire a bunch of chips up all in the same either on a circuit board or sometimes in the same package or whatever. And then someone had the idea of, well, wait a minute, we can make a, a bigger chip that does more than one thing. So you put a whole system of things all on a single chip. So you have a bunch of, you can conceptually think of it as a bunch of little chips all on one chip that are connected to each other. So they call that a system on a chip, kind of a buzzword. It, in, in this context, context, it usually means like there's a microprocessor, there's probably, there's memory, there's GPU, there's there's a radio um, being the, you know, the Wi-Fi or, or Bluetooth radio all on the same chip. They'll call that a, they'll call that a system on a chip. Cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, they needed a secure, secure enclave as well, advanced powering. They wanted more performance. You want High performance and low power is what the, they sort of said in their little chart. So they're trying to, you know, target. Which is hard to do. Yeah, hard to do. But apparently they're going to try and do it. Because I think I, I told you guys last week that power is proportional to switching speed of mm-hmm. transistors. Mm-hmm. So to get high performance, you need fast speed. But normally when you do that, you have to increase the power. So to, to get both low power and high speed is pretty tough. Right, right. So now once they get this the Mac onto this uh, this new Apple Silicon, they'll have, be able to have native apps for all all the things. Um, so their apps can be ported over now using Xcode 12. Um, it, and it has an option. If you start an app from scratch, you can build a universal app, which will run across you know all the devices like um, Mac, iPad, iOS, um, Apple TV, and Watch as well. Um, so you can build with one single code base that will will address them, and and they'll 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 take care of the the sort of what happens on the background. Um, it's going to be running... They currently have the A12Z Bionic chip, 
with its universal memory architecture and neural engines. And, and they talked about Rosetta 2, which we talked about Rosetta before being the, the tool that let us move, run um, PowerPC apps on Intel. Is that right? What we used Rosetta for, Mark? Well, there was the... So I think the, I think the classic... Well, it was when, when they went from 68,000 to PowerPC, and that was, I believe, that was Carbon... Right, that was Carbon. Rosetta was PowerPC to Intel. to Intel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But wasn't it Carbon was the one that went from class yes, to yeah, PowerPC? Yeah, we had Cocoa and Carbon back then. Yes, exactly. Right, yep. right. Yep. Um, yeah, so this translates faster than the current one. It translates all the code automatically on the fly. Um, new And it's going to allow, allow for new virtualizations like Linux and Docker as well. Andreas Wendker came on and talked about the, the new Kickstart program that they're going to have um, where you'll basically get a Mac Mini with an a12z chip in it 16 gigs of memory 512 gigabyte space or ssd and you can apply today and it's, they're calling it the developer translation kit and uh yeah so uh, interestingly enough on, on on that sidebar on that one i did apply um for pi day countdown no, i'm kidding it wasn't pi day countdown but um i did apply and i got accepted and i've talked to two mac bona fide mac developers in in today who have not heard from apple yet as whether they've been approved hmm. so i think it's kind of sort of a lottery again I don't know. Yeah, maybe. But the idea is you have to spend, uh, It's I think it's $500 US to uh, get the hardware. Uh, you keep it for a year, you build your apps on it, and then you have to return it after the year is over. So do they give you your $500 back at the end? No. no. I don't think so. What, what do they, they do if you don't return it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Come to your house and take your house away. He's <laughs> like, oh, remember I your Apple ID? Like- so I have seven days to decide whether I'm going to pay the $600 and get the thing. But to be honest with you, I don't think I would make that much money on an, on an app that I would make so I don't know if I if I would um, it might take me a few years I guess to, to make it back but yeah so that's uh, that's the story of, of WWDC or the keynote for me anyway any comments? Pretty much summed it up. Yeah. And then I'm going to advise people, because you, you know what's going to happen as soon as these kits hit the streets. You know people are going to very quickly, using beta software, try to write benchmarks to see, oh, how does this thing perform? Let me tell you oh. two things. One, this summer is you know beta software, and it doesn't necessarily have all the performance enhancements. Mm-hmm. You're the first seeds. You're in the middle. It's towards the end. And the other thing I'd say is that um, A12Z processor is almost certainly not the processor. They're going to be shipping the you know the the first ARM based Mac with later this year because why would they right Why would you give up the secret sauce to Intel to be able to to grab one of these and run benchmarks You don't want Intel to know where you have to hit for performance to match You want them to be sweating out exactly how big of a change in performance is it going to be So I think the the actual kit um, sorry the actual processor will be better in performance than the A12Z Well they probably haven't made the actual processor yet, to be honest, or finished mm. it. I mean, don't get me wrong, these these things take two to three years to actually make, so it's close to being done, but it's probably not being really manufactured yet. It's probably still being finalized. Yeah. Well, That's my guess. So the current A12 is in is in the new phones and the iPads, right? The A12 Bionic, I think? Yeah. 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 I'm talking, I mean, I'm talking about the new one that's going into the The real, yeah, the A13 order. The real one. Yeah. Yeah, this is just a, just a stopover. I mean, they had Intel Max when they were developing for Intel as well, even I didn't tell half of us, very many of us. Anyway, so the next big story, of course, was from the same day on Monday was the platform State of the Union. I'll be totally honest. A big part of it was spent on the ARM transition. Mm-hmm. Too much. It, <laughs> a huge part of it. A yeah. little, yeah. I think 
maybe a little too much because I think even though in some ways this this touches everyone, um, it's not really super hyper relevant content for the overwhelming majority of developers. Right, and it's not to to, to downplay it, but I just think it, it took a little too much time. So I'm going to go through what I have here. So sure, uh, recapping the keynote. Uh, by the way, you can replace Safari and Mail as your default apps on iOS. <laughs> that was on a slide somewhere in the keynote, but definitely was not highlighted. So mm. be nice. They've created the Find My program at developer.apple.com/slash/find-my. So other apps and companies can join in the fun of you know I need to find this thing. Well, cool, they'll have a way to do that. Well, I can probably do the device tracker. Hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or if you're Tile and you have sued Apple <laughs> for their yeah. their their inability to to have that sort of feature, like oh, I guess that lawsuit goes away. But moving on, uh, of course, they talked about Apple Silicon. They talked about Universal 2. You'd mentioned the the Universal app thing that uh, has Intel and Apple Silicon-based architectures in a single app. Xcode builds for your native architecture during development because that would be the faster one. But then you can choose a new any Mac with Apple Silicon and Intel as the options. If you want to do that, you can use an update and build option, which presumably will get you, like a lot of these migrations, a lot of the way towards being able to have your app be available. Uh, and they claim for many apps, just a few engineering days, they showed how um, OpenCV, Chromium, Blender, Unity, and a whole bunch of other open source programs are uh, up and running, I believe, on, uh, on using Universal 2. Uh, then they also talked about Rosetta 2, which has uh, ahead of time performance translation. So I believe at install time is where they're tending to, to prefer doing that, to just take the hit the one time when you're installing the app to do the translation. Uh, but they've also got dynamic translation for the just-in-time type purposes like JavaScript running on uh, in your browser. And and even though they didn't state this, I, I would guess probably for WebAssembly as well, which is a, a burgeoning um, web technology that uh, I think we've mentioned on the show, but I don't want to spend too much time. Uh, we noted in, in our Slack channel that uh, they, they talked about Swift for Linux running on Parallels Desktop, and they used Vapor as their, their example. So that was pretty pretty neat to see. What have I got a Mac Catalyst here? Uh, apps are in Applications folder by default, but you can rename and also move out of the folder. Uh, but they've got some sort of looks like an archive structure. Or something. I, I didn't write good notes here, but he said like you know iOS apps don't expect to be moved out of their place, but they've got something that, that proxies that for your app, so your app doesn't freak out. Uh, and you can use iOS extensions as is on macOS, which is pretty nice. Moving down to macOS Big Sur, uh, I think they'd recapped a bit about notifications shown grouped together for the same apps, uh, very similar to the way you'd see on iOS or iPadOS. Uh, sheets float above a window and are dimmed. Uh, so going along with that new design language that they're using, the more unified look and feel across Mac and iOS. Uh, they, they spent a fair amount of time talking about toolbars sitting atop content, uh, the colorful SF symbols. So SF symbols 2, I think is what they called it. Did they give a version? I knew, I know it's noted somehow that it's different. And of course, that this is macOS version 11. Let's see, looking at iPadOS, iPadOS 14, has sidebars, 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 and uh, sidebars. color picker. Don't forget sidebar. Yeah. <laughs> sidebars within your sidebars. Uh, color picker. Yo, dog, I put system. sidebars in my sidebars. 
<laughs> uh, they did mention uh, the depth API and the LiDAR sensor from iPad Pro. Uh, Pencil Kit got some love, especially the text entry with Scribble. So that's pretty cool. Moving to iOS, they did some recap on the widgets and app clips. Uh, notably, the widgets are written in Swift UI. So um, I think if that sort of answers the question of like, when should you start learning? If you haven't started learning now, now would be a pretty good time because it's clearly not this thing you're dabbling with, right? It is a, you can't do it in Objective-C. So let that, right. let that be your guide. <laughs> I can't do it in Swift either. Yeah. I mean, not, not just, you know, plain old Swift with UI kit for sure. Uh, so if you want to play in that game, you, you've got to learn Swift UI. And um, they, they talked about the fact that the, the way that the widgets work is they have a, I didn't actually write this note, but I, I, I do remember them talking about their taking advantage of the, the descriptive nature of Swift UI. I'm like, oh, well, so then we can just archive your UI every once in a while. And then when we're asked to show it, we can just rehydrate that and tell the GPU, hey, just directly show this, 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 uh, you know, sticker version of my, my content and then can mm. update appropriately. So they don't have to fire up your app all the time to do that. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And, they, and then they talked about the, yeah, there's a timeline. Yeah. That they, that, so that you don't have to have the spinning wheel or, or that, uh, what do they call it? Uh, thing that the Facebook does shimmer shimmer. Yeah. Yeah. And the widget protocol and the timeline provider stuff, this is the part that definitely reminded me of, of glances on watch OS. Mm, yeah. Um, possibly it was called watch kit. I don't remember where that was in history. I think that was watch kit. I think that was very early on early days. Okay. That, that was my suspicion. Uh, yeah. app clips talking about that. So, uh, the app card is nicely auto generated by your app store metadata. Um, the app is already downloading in the background by the time the user has ended up triggering the system to do so. Right. So if they've uh, scanned the QR code, for example, and it's showing you the UI, like, Hey, this is what that will be. It's like, cool. We're already downloading this in the background. As mentioned earlier, we don't have to manually sign up or add your credit card data because you can just use sign up the Apple and use Apple pay. Uh, you can open from apps that you use every day for, uh, as Mark mentioned, like through your QR codes or sharing a link in Safari, etc. cetera, uh, uses native SDK less than 10 megabytes. They very notably said, leave out analytics SDKs you don't really need, which yeah. I feel like was some <laughs> unnecessary shade, but sure. All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was kind of surprising that they pointed that out. It, it, it almost was like they're, that was on purpose, right? They don't, they never, everything's on purpose. In this. So I, I, well, I've suspected for a little while now for various reasons that Apple is planning their own analytics library sometime in the future so that they can get, get everyone off of uh, Google Analytics or Firebase or, or uh, Mixpanel or anything else. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they also mentioned that you can use notifications and you can have a uh, eight-hour per permission for notification. I, actually, I think you're you're set to eight hours permission for notifications. I don't remember if they talked about this in the session or if I just heard it elsewhere, but I think the pretty good rationale is going back to that parking meter example. Like, all right, I've paid for the parking meter. Sure would be nice to get in a notification like, hey, dummy, your, mm-hmm. you know, your time is about yeah. to run out. You should probably yeah. go move your car or pay some more. Yeah. That's great. Within an eight hour period, that's that's kind of a little bit close for a work day, but sure, you know, <laughs> that's, 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 that's pretty good. Oh, that's the max, the max time. Okay. I think it was the max time, but I, I haven't wow. seen the session, but I think that's what they talk about. But but that makes sense, right? Because two days later, if I'm not using that parking meter uh, app clip, I don't want it spamming. They're like, hey, have you tried our other parking meters? No, <laughs> leave me alone, <laughs> right? So if I want to go download Can the I app, unsubscribe? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I want to, you know, now oh, and I got to go turn off the notifications and stuff. 
stuff. Um, uh, but along the lines of if I truly did like the app, apparently you can add store kit sheets to drive app installs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I can already see a whole bunch of ideas for what people will do with this. As we've talked about in uh, probably our Slack channel, there probably will be people trying to do spammy things with this. Yeah. I would say don't. You know, it really should be. They actually did the, they said that in the in the uh, video I watched today at the very end. They sort of said, yeah, just don't don't do that. Like not specifically, but they they implied that it's meant to be used. You know, in in moderation. Yeah, and I think it's reasonable if the you believe the re, the user had a good experience, right? They they tried your clip, they had some successful action, and then you're like, cool. Would you like to have this permanently? And then let the user decide. You know, uh, you probably shouldn't bring it up as soon as your clip fires up, as if you're trying to you know avoid the whole purpose of the clip, which is downloading a small part of an app just in time, just the little bits that you need. Um, it's kind of like the you know don't ask for for push notification permissions as soon as I fire up your app for the very first time because i don't i don't know if i want to give you that permission i think it'll be the same thing here you know, don't don't shove a store kit sheet in my face i was trying to use the clip not download your app so you wait until they've ordered their first cup of soup before you get them on the app yeah i, I feel like that's a fair a fair time to do it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah referencing the, the soup thing that was the big rage last year the, the soup store soup chef or soup everything store. was all about soup yeah. last year yeah has there been tim you've watched more of the videos than we have has there been some kind of a common theme between all the, the sample apps there there's a couple of, there's a couple coming up one is um uh this book library thing that i've been watching it's one of the things and then another one was um yeah th- there's uh, the the one we talk about the different um uh collection views um that one seems to have a common theme as well so there's a bit of a few i haven't quite caught got them all yet is that it for you, Jaime? You got more or no? Well, the the one last one in that section is app privacy. They talked about the data linked to you, the self-reporting for apps in the App Store. Right, okay. Um, wow, I guess I was getting salty by the time WatchOS 7 was mentioned. Here's literally <laughs> my notes. Literally my notes. Lol, who cares? They didn't show anything specific to watches, really. I guess complication stuff. <laughs> yeah, so if I, I wrote SwiftUI complications in preview device. That's the only thing I've got. Yeah. I, I did feel just in general that the platform the union was a lot lower cost. This was an S year from from yeah, this was this was probably the the least interesting platform state of the union I've been to in like ten years. Yeah. Normally normally they're packed with all kinds of insights and whatever, you know. Like I almost didn't write down Xcode document tabs because I was like, who cares? We already have tabs, right? Until So I took yeah, I took extensive notes for the keynote. Yeah. And then I switch over to my platform state of the union notes. Yeah. I have three lines. Developer transition kit, yeah. widgets app and then I stopped. <laughs> well, you can also was done. you can finally change the font size in, in the project navigator. That's one thing. That was like yeah. Yeah, this I'm whole always, yeah. novella for the keynote and this haiku for the platform. Yeah. Say that you right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, a couple more, and then then and there are more right. salts, which we'll get okay as I'm reading ahead. So Xcode 12, you know, dynamic tab to show stuff as you move around, or you can open yeah. things in a new tab you want to hang around. Yeah. New Swift UI app project templates that split up code for other platforms. Yes. Uh, you have XC tests that can now use scrolling velocity. So they, they added some more love for, for tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently 
store kit testing, including the store kit manager that shows details of what's going on with in-app purchases. So they helped solve what I understand to be a huge pain in the neck for people trying to debug what's going oh, on. Oh, yeah, with yeah. With purchases. the virtual purchases. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then they added um, views and modifiers that can appear in your library and from Swift packages too by adopting a protocol, which seemed like much fancier pants version of IP designable for the stuff that you're creating with Swift UI, mm. which, is, which is pretty mm-hmm. neat. And speaking of Swift UI, they definitely focused on source stability. So these improvements that they add are additive, meaning they will not break your existing source. Uh, they added the at main app struct to manage your app in a few lines of code. So you, you really don't need a whole bunch of other things. They've done a lot of the boilerplate for you if you do that. And we have long wanted at least one year, as as I say long here for Swift UI, you know, what's the collection view equivalent? And it turns out that you have this new lazy loading ability mm-hmm. for lists of stack views and you can get that performance as it loads things on demand and they have my understanding a lazy grid that is the Correct. equivalent yep. of collection view i haven't seen that session but it, it seemed like that's what they were saying yes grids grids are the new grids yes collection views are taking over from from table views i watched i watched a section on collection view and her video on that that's coming up um, that's a long time coming because when collection view came out in ios 12 it's ios 12 so what am i saying 2012 in ios uh six so i was seven wasn't it maybe i was six it, it was six in 20 in 2012 i think i went to the session with the two guys from france who came up with it and they got hired by yep. apple <laughs> did yep, their presentation yep. it was like it was a mess right um because it was something i was really interested in i tried to get into collection views right off the, right out the get-go but uh um it's you know it's taken a long time, but like they finally it's finally gotten to the point where it's funny now that we've got this they've added a bunch of stuff to Collection View this year, but they're also adding in this new grid metaphor for for Swift UI. So, going to see who going to be interesting to see who wins the day, right? Yeah, I, I do remember yeah. thinking when at least Collection View came out in 2012, iOS 6. I remember thinking, and I think I asked in one of the the lab sessions, and and they didn't give a straight answer. I remember asking, so why would I use table view? Why don't I just have a one dimensional collection view? And I think <laughs> the the answer I got at the time was like, well, table view has a lot of uh, performance enhancements because it can make assumptions that a collection view cannot. Wait a second, were you in that? You were in the the first talk where they first rolled out um, back in 2012. Yeah, I was sitting sitting in the audience, and I remember you know they talked about collection view and some of the things it did for like dequeuing that was nice. And then they said, "Oh, by the way, we've done the same thing for table view, so dequeuing." Because you know what, I think I actually remember you asking that question, but I didn't know who you were. You were that close. I was in the the audience. Yeah, yeah. No, were you, well, like sitting, they, they, were you sitting I, like were you sitting like maybe ten rows back on the right hand side? Possibly, but I don't think I asked this question to like the broader audience. This would have been in one of the lab. Um, oh, in the lab. Okay, okay. Lab areas. In, yeah, somebody yeah. asked a question like that during during the actual after, you know the Q and A at the end of the talk, right? Don't you remember there was a Q and A at the end there? I kind of vaguely remember that. Anyway, but yeah, it was neat. Um, okay, so you were the out, guy. Hmm? So you weren't the guy, okay? So no, no, that wasn't me. But I did ask at the, at the lab. <laughs> like, you know. That would have been serendipity for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, the lab, the very I'm last thing. I'm to the lab too now. I think about it. Yeah. Hmm. Back then, you could walk into the lab, so you didn't have to make appointments. Yeah, I think it was first come, first serve. Yeah, yeah. That year, uh, under the more category in my notes, the very last line is again more salt. TVOS <laughs> lull. Who cares? Nothing worth mentioning, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was one thing I caught in in at the very end of the uh, wasn't actually talked about, but it was it was in the scroll screen at the end of it. Did you see that? 
No? Okay. So no, I guess the, I didn't. The last, the last part of the show, you probably just all went off and had a beer or whatever, but the last part of the, the Platform State of the Union was a scroller that talked about health and safety. And they said that for everybody that was involved in the making of all of it, and this, I guess this applies to all of WWDC, um, they had daily health screenings. Um, they all practiced proper safe distances. Face coverings were used by everybody but the presenter, and the presenters were isolated when two presenters had to be in, on the same screen, they had to. They were isolated by considerable distance, distances, and everything was sanitized to an inch of its life. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. I did, and they showed that at the keynote. Uh, end did of the they? Keynote oh, as well. okay. I didn't see the, the, the end of the keynote. Yeah, I, I that, that was here. the you know, no animals were harmed in the making yes. of the movie sort yes. of thing. Which I thought, you know, somebody said, you know what, we're going to get slammed. The, there's already people writing articles for Forbes who are just ready to submit <laughs> if we don't put this on there. Yeah, we're going to jeopardize the health of, of employees to make videos for. Yeah, because it was clear they were for in actual <laughs> physical location that was not the home. Home, right, as, as opposed to um, most of what Microsoft did for its build conference. It, not true because they had, I think, two main hosts, socially distanced, but in um, like a studio of some sort. But everybody else was presenting from their presumed house, and very clearly people were not presenting for their house or the Apple content. And we get a couple of quick items that I put is sort of the, the, the just after. What was it mentioned in the keynote or the platform State of the Union? Uh, one is an iOS 14 access accessibility option that lets you tap the back of your phone to launch apps and or run shortcuts so you can double tap or triple tap on the back of your phone if you set up this option oh yeah 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 i saw people somebody like, do a demo oh, of that so you can fire up certain apps you can't fire up the camera but somebody say hey but i can write a shortcut that fires up the camera yes you can hmm. you can set that as a workaround so that's cool uh they also have an ios 14 so you can feature. Serendipi- serendipitously take pictures of people without them knowing it <laughs> uh, I suppose so in that case, um, but it, it could be used for other things too, right? So you, you really wanted some particular app to be even more readily accessible. You could have that fire up. Uh, you've also got a feature in iOS 14 that uh, has your iPhone alert you if it hears certain sounds like dogs barking, a doorbell or fire alarm. I believe this is an accessibility feature as well, but like a lot of accessibility features, it's not just for people who are impaired in some way, but generally usable for uh, the public at large. So that's cool. And the single session that I actually did watch, because it's only 15 minutes <laughs> and it was on a, to- a topic that I was like, oh, that's cool. That's work-related. Uh, Safari is going to support passwordless logins via Face ID and Touch ID by implementing the platform authenticator flow or WebAuthn, uh, which we've mentioned, I think, once or twice before on the show. So that's pretty cool that you'll be able to do that. And it's a very short video on, on how they're doing that. Um, it's really nice because you'll have you know, even fewer opportunities for people to try to steal your password in some way. Well, they can't steal your password if all you ever did was use it the first time to register. And after that, you're using your uh, your iPhone or your uh, Mac, you know, biometric devices to, to log in. So that's really neat. Appreciated that. So those are the quick items that I mentioned that were uh, things that weren't in the keynote or the platform state of the union, but people have found as they've been poking around through the betas. Cool. All right. So, um, well, here, let me just, no, 
back off a couple of things. So one of the things that I remember Mark was talking about collection view last year because none of us really clued into the fact that we even talked about collection views. And there was a session that Mark went to about um, two sessions: one on the diffable, yeah, data diffable sources. data source, yeah, yeah. And, and so, and so then the one on the composable, right, collection right. Views. So this yeah. is what they so yeah. where that is now going. If you watch the collection view 2020 uh, video, I don't know what, what it's called. What's new in collection view? I guess or whatever. Um, lists, the, the list metaphor is now coming into collection view that they brought from, list is how they handle table view sort of content or dynamic content in in Swift UI. So that's coming into collection views. So you've now got swipeable actions like we do with table views. Um, it's sitting on top of that compositional layout thing that you were talking about last year, I think, right? Um, and so the gist I got from this is that collection views are going to be replacing table views uh, coming going forward, right? Um, there's now a UI, UI collection collection view list cell type and um, I think maybe this is a note on on going to watch the lists in collection view video that I meant to do for later um, cells are now registered the same some very similar way that that table view table view cells are done like using a DQ configured reusable cell um, a concrete type I guess you call that and then um, there's a mod so there's a new, another one called modern cell configuration which is a video to follow up on this one and uh, also advances in diffable data source was another one that they recommended from watching from watching the collection view one. So that was, again, it was a quick, you know, I think it was like a 15 minute uh, video as well. Um, but for me, the big takeaway, I watched the widget idea one that was kind of interesting. But the big, big um, thing for me was in Swift UI is that you can now build an entire app completely in Swift UI. Uh, before Swift UI apps were, they were sort of, there was a Swift component to it, like a, um, and you had just the content view part of, of the, the app, and you could have other Swift UI classes. But but now there's, an, there's a new app type or app, I don't know if it's called a struct or whatever, but uh, there's an app um, object um, which ha- which has a window group. Uh, API that defines the interface that you're going to use. Um, so there's like an app struct which owns this window group. Uh, and the windows then own scenes, and the scenes are what we, we build into Swift UI views. Um, and there's a, a session called App Essentials on Swift UI, which is a follow-up video to this one. But um, I'm so there's no there's no longer a top-level UI hosting view, right? Yeah, UI, view, UI hosting view controller. Yeah, yeah. So and there's a new at main, yeah. which you you now designate which is going to be the primary uh, view incoming when the app launches. This is the one that's got like a property wrapper called at main at the beginning of it. Is how you designate which is your, your first sort of view or first object that lo- loads. Um, you can now do settings scenes with for, for Mac preferences using uh, Swift UI, which is kind of cool. Um, uh, document group. Oh, yeah, they've added a document group um, object to uh, handle documents with, with like, um, iPads. iPad apps can have documents. Mac apps can have documents as well. So there's document, document-based APIs. Um, there's now a new, in Xcode 12, there's now a new multi-platform project type uh, template, right? So you choose that, and, and basically it Will, it will set up you write your generic or uh, your declarative code in, in Swift UI, and that template or Xcode itself will handle how it behaves on the iPad, the Mac, the iOS device, and so on and so forth. So the the idea is you basically can very simply create a multi-platform application doing just that one using that one template. Um, launch screen is now and now has an info p list, so it's no longer just a storyboard uh, for the launch screen. You can now have a more more stuff. You can have images and stuff like that in there uh, as well, so to make it more interactive. Uh, widgets, as we mentioned before 
were exclusively written in SwiftUI. And um, yeah, so you basically build a SwiftUI view for a widget. That's essentially how it happens. And there's a new state object, at, or state object property wrapper, I guess, uh, that um, lets you uh, manage the state of, of your views throughout the, throughout the thing. So that's how it loads, keeps track of what the state was. So when you go to load a, a view that you previously had, it uses the state object to sort of uh, bring, to reincarnate it or whatever you want to call it. So definitely watch, definitely watch the um, What's New in SwiftUI, despite what your friends are telling you. Uh, go watch that one. That's a, a quite interesting video. So that's my Swift, that's my first SwiftUI story for the day. Oh, let me see, let's say that. Let's move on to the picks. Um, my first pick here was was a video that I found for Jaime that was I forget where it was posted, but it's a song that a uh, country singer has uh, written called "Up Here in Canada." It's very comical and it talks about all the different uh, facets of uh, Canadianism. Um, and uh, yeah, it says sorry a lot in the song and all kind of stuff. So um, yeah, so Jaime, you're next up with this. What's new in Swift UI for iOS 14? Yeah, oh, yes. that's, that's the name of the blog post by Mr. Paul Edson on mm-hmm. HackingWithSwift.com. If uh, if you haven't seen the session like I hadn't, he's got the, you know, little bit of uh, code, little nuggets of what is new, right? Like mm-hmm. dealing with the multi-line editable text editor uh, using the lazy grids, as mentioned before. Um, other nice improvements for property wrappers and etc. cetera. Uh, not really meant to replace the official documentation or the WWE videos. But I think it's really nice to have, like, you know, help me catch up on, on these things, um, especially because it's broken down into different sections and uh, clickable links to very small. Here's your um, minimum amount of code you would need to get the point of what this thing is. Cool. Yeah, I saw he did a he did a live session after the platform city union. He went through a lot of uh, stuff and he just riffed off a whole bunch of things. Um, he was on for about an hour. Uh, it was interesting to watch him. I was working on other things, but listening in the background with him talking about all the new things in Swift and uh, 5.2, I think we're in now, right? Um, and all that kind of stuff. So I got a bunch of links here that um, I forget who I found these from. Um, but basically, yeah, it's like Swift UI all the things is what I'm calling this because uh, there are uh, Apple de- Apple development documentation. I was sending this over to Tammy, actually, is what I was doing. We were I was asking her about scene, uh, scene kit and scene view, and I've got the same link in here twice unfortunately but um yeah so scene kit has um new stuff that uh like hasn't had a lot of talk about scene kit but it's had a, a, a sort of a swift ui a uh, bunch of underpinnings done in that one and um the other one so scene kit and what's this the other one i'm thinking of sprite kit uh, Sprite Kit also has a, has had a, a Swift some Swift UI isms are put into it as well. Um, AV Kit also has a new sort of uh, Swift UI based video player and for dealing with media, um, media whether it's uh, MP3s or, or movies and that kind of stuff. And of course, Map Kit, which we've talked about a few times on this show, have has also had a Swift UI overhaul as well or added in new news documentation on their mapping or maps uh, for using in your apps. All right. So, are you guys going to be watching any of the videos and stuff like that coming up, or are you planning to? Or so, luckily, we have next week. We have a we have our summer break. Oh, cool. Which which uh, means we're off from Wednesday through the end of the weekend hmm. because of the Fourth of July holiday. Okay, right. Uh, so, I plan to spend a whole bunch of that time watching some videos. But this week, I might not get to watch too many. It's actually I actually have a pretty busy week. That's true. I forgot we have Canada Day coming up on the first too. Hmm. Canada Day. Yeah. 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 I planned my uh, vacation correctly again 
Um, all right. So, uh, so Jaime, what are you planning on doing for the rest of the week for WWDC? I'm probably going to take a look at the list of things that are out, and mm-hmm. I might even watch the recaps first, actually, the two-minute recaps to see you know, what came out that day and, and which ones should I target. Um, am I correct in thinking that they're releasing batches of videos day by day? Yeah, they're, they're, it's, they all come out at like 10 a.m., Pacific Daylight Time. So, uh, and it's it's weird because you know I kind of I've been going through the list and looking to see what I want to choose, and and looking at the the names of the sort of recap, I kind of go, I don't know, like I'm not really finding you know the love that I would normally find for certain subjects. But what I've been finding is that when I do go into some of them, um, they do highlight you know where to get, go and get more information. I, I watched one um, session. Uh, I watched one session a couple of times, like two different the same talk. Talker, same speaker in two different sessions talking about the same app analogy and using the same sample app and it was very repetitive i watched one with ed today and and that's what we found we both found that uh this particular subject was sort of a recap of what we'd just seen like in the in the survey one they did before right just more detail and with a bit of code in there kind of thing but uh yeah it's, it's interesting i don't know it's I'm, I'm still feeling it's kind of an s here in terms of it doesn't really feel like um there's any anything really substantive uh, other than the swift ui building an app you know from the ground up kind of thing right so what do you think i mean remember last year when we were all complaining oh no there's too much stuff and <laughs> look how buggy i was 13 and it was like three um point releases in before it became not yeah. a hassle i'm kind yeah. of okay with having that s year of like all right let's let things settle mm. i'm just gonna assume that ios 14 and mac os big sur will be much more solid in their betas and hopefully therefore much more solid in their releases in september because uh, that'll be good and as far as videos go without having any sort of guidance whatsoever i was probably going to lean towards the swift ui ones uh myself because i've believed since last year that swift ui was pretty much the the future the on it i think yeah. that that turned out to be correct um we, we can you know quibble about the you know how quickly is it the future and when what does that mean for you know migrations of things that sure um but i think swift ui is definitely something that i want to get more familiar with uh and particularly in combination with combined, which I don't think I saw any news about. I'm sure there's new improvements, but it, it didn't seem to be a focus this year. Yeah. So I guess the next question for you guys is what do you think about this new format? I mean, do you think this is a format that Apple is going to continue to use over the next few years? Like, um, you know, like, like putting on a, putting I mean, for them, WWDC sort of a culmination of the year too. Like they kind of, it's their, their showcase of every, every year, right? Like Macworld used to be, but do you think they're going to continue with this sort of canned um, experience? Why wouldn't they? I guess is the question, right? What do you think? Well, there is some kind of cachet about doing it all in person, right? When you have when you have five or ten thousand people just showing up in one place, you get a lot of press coverage, you get a lot of a lot of excitement generated. Uh, so there is some there is something to having the live event. Uh, in terms of in terms of content transfer, I, I actually never thought WC was actually the best best format for that. Um, I always thought watching the videos was better than being there in person for, for getting the content uh but you know you can't argue with the with the the press coverage and the excitement they generate and, the, and just the buzz that it builds having all those people in one place yeah that's true so i yeah. can see them going i can see them going to that just for the just for for that sake uh but on the other hand you know how much does apple really get out of that i don't know i don't know to be honest uh, they they spend a lot of money on it uh and uh it's hard to say you know they a lot of their a lot of their uh energy is is spent building it and and running it, which could theoretically be spent doing other things. So it's hard. 
it's hard to say. Well, I think they, I they lucked out by this whole Apple TV experience that they've been, you know, now that they've been getting into television production and they probably have a whole crew of people. They must have brought people up from L.A. or something. Because, I mean, like, the lighting is amazing. The, you know, the, the video itself is amazing. It's like movie quality kind of stuff. I mean, it's even better than most television shows I watch, right? Um, in terms of the quality. So from that point of view, it's, I think it's it's been an excellent presentation, right? Um, and the fact that you can have like a quick five-minute video and a 10-minute video and a 15-minute video and you don't have to sit through like a 40-minute session, you know, of, of boredom. I, I'm One of the things I used to do at WWDC when I used to go in person is I would go to a, a you know, you, I just randomly pick a, a subject, go into a room, realize 10 minutes into, this, into the talk that this is not for me and get up and walk into another room and catch like, the you know, last 20 minutes or something else, right? Um, and, you know, I've stumbled across things that way that, that are amazing or, or even seeing the sort of reference to check this other video out kind of thing, right, that I'm talking about today as well, right? Um, uh, I find that's interesting. The one thing that I've got to say, though, I really did enjoy the the, the sort of randomness of the way the, the re- release notes um, happy hour thing just worked was 160 people signed up and showed up and I don't know what percentage of that showed up to this Zoom call and then Charles and Joe just d- divided people randomly into rooms of five. And then so you chatted with them for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and it, that was kind of like, you know, standing in line and like, hey, what do you do? And hey, what do you do? And what do you think about COVID? And what do you think about grocery shopping? And, you know, what kind of apps do you make? And that kind of thing, which is the kind of icebreaker stuff that I normally would ask when I go to a conference, right? Um, that's how, essentially how Jaime and I met. And that's how you and I met, Mark. So, um that part's missing from from this whole experience for me. Like, so definitely the going in person and and hanging out with you know five thousand other people who were kind of interested in the same thing that I am. Right? That's for people in Canada. That's pretty rare. No doubt in San Francisco, you could, like I said to you, Mark, before you can't swing a cat without hitting a developer, right? Um, yeah. But but that's you know that's, that's the big valley in general. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, so it's nice to sort of. See, but I mean, like even in in Silicon Valley in general, you're not always running into iOS people, right? No, that's true. Yeah, or, that's or true. Mac people or whatever. But um, what do you think, Hummy? I think it'll be a very difficult decision for next year because I think everything is, you know, pretty spot on that you and Mark have said about, you know, in terms of transferring knowledge, the way that they've done it this year, in many respects is superior to the way that normal stuff happens for WWDC. And uh, would you say 23 million registered developers? So yeah. it's like the 5,000 who are blessed to go is like two tenths of 1% of all developers. <laughs> yeah. it, it's never really about like disseminating the knowledge there. There is something to be said about the sort of Apple festival that it, it sort of is that I, I wouldn't want to see them completely go away from. Uh, maybe they'll have something a little different, right? Or I don't know. I, I, I could think of a million different things they might do differently uh, than they normally have when they have the option of you know, pulling people in. Maybe it will be more festival type thing. Like, hey, let's all get together. Let's watch this video. And then, you know, it could be a little bit more casual because you're not uh, you're not having to deal with a lot of the pomp and circumstances. Like, well, the video's pre-canned, right? You can watch it in this big auditorium and then, you know, have snacks and beers and whatever with all the developers. Oh, did you see that thing? How cool is Swift UI's new blah, blah, blah feature, right? Like there's, there's some aspect to that, that not everyone uh, is willing to go, capable of going, or even gets the, the sort of opportunity. I haven't been in like five years, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't ever want to go for like the more festival part of it, right? That, that could be a whole lot of fun and having the ability to just say, Hey, I'm just going to take this week and go do dub dub stuff. is kind of nice. It, it's a little harder now 
know to to not uh, not be like, uh, well, I've got this other thing. I'll watch a video tomorrow. Uh, I'll watch a video during lunch. Right? It, it's not it's not quite the same as having dedicated focus of a week. Even though hypothetically, I could just do that. So I I, I don't. It's a very long winded way of saying I don't know what they're going to do, but I do think it will be a very difficult decision next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I, yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, there's, it's sort of like the you know the, the have you ever read the Goblet of Fire or seen the you, you read the, you saw the movies right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know the very beginning there where they go off to that festival thing where they 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 use the boot and they all transport to this place and it's like everybody gathers together. I forget what they call that, but I'm sure the Harry Potter fans are just yelling at me right now. But yeah, they had uh, like the Quidditch Cup or something. It was like yeah, a World yeah, Cup that, yeah, yeah, like World Cup. Yeah, 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 and yeah, and they all went there and and um and the Death Eaters came in and ruined the, ruined the party. But the the sort of come, you know, the hey, let's get let's all just go and touch the boot and whip off to this you know thing. And Harry's like, what are you guys talking about? Right, sort of. Um, communal experience kind of thing. I think that's where what happened. And it's funny because, like I said, the very first time I got into iOS, like I thought, you know, I had already been going to like you know um, conferences in Boston for um, like uh, there was a MacWorld there. There was um, a thing called Seabold Publishing, which was a sort of a Seabold conference for people in printing ink on publishing or ink on paper publishing. And um, so I had already had that experience of, of of being that was where you go to get the, the central. You know, font of knowledge kind of thing and um so i was at a conference in uh, in seattle to voices that matter and a friend of mine said well you know the real con the real conference you need to go to is wwdc and so that's when i applied the first year and fortunately back then you you know it was like it took like two weeks for them to sell the tickets right so it was easy to get in and but that's when i discovered like yeah there are like five thousand other people like me who are doing the same thing that i'm interested in and that's kind of a unique experience to be able to get that get that sort of all in one place right it's kind of like you do when you go to like when you go to a football game or, or a, a basketball game or a baseball game you're like you you're there with you know ten thousand other like-minded individuals who are either for or against the team you're rooting for right so that that kind of i think i think it drives at our sort of communal tribal you know underpinnings or you know our sort of our ancestral roots right to sort of gather together and and you know break bread and you know tell stories right like podcasting <laughs> anyway, I guess that's it for another week. Hi, May. If people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, I'm at Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right. My name is Timitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. And if you're, I mean, we've had a, a handful of people join us on the on the Friends of the Show Slack. If you want to come come by, just you know, go to the website and uh, check it out and or ping me or whatever, or Hi, May, or Mark. And, uh, We'll tell you how to get in and join us on Slack and talk about WWC and all that kind of crazy stuff. Um, anyway, so by the time you'll hear this, it'll be over, unfortunately, but we'll continue the conversation. So, and yeah, we can talk about Buckethead and stuff. We can talk about Buckethead. Yeah, there's always Buckethead. And yeah, we can talk yeah. about him for sure. All right. So, um, yeah, till next time, we'll say bye-bye. bye bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is voiceover friend of the show, Mike Vanockmans. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. 
So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Oh, by the way, the James Dempsey's Breakpoint thing just came out, so I'll be tweeting about that. And that's it. That's, that's it. it. That's Looking at my notes, right. I realized you blew right past the uh, Isaac Asimov's Foundation series on Apple TV+. Plus. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah, we can talk about that. That's amazing. <laughs> that's one of my favorite books, or series books, I guess. We've talked about them before. Will it translate to the screen? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. That's a tough one. The clips that they were showing were really different from what I remember this, the books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, I'm afraid they're going to make it into like some kind of an action-adventure sci-fi. <laughs> and they just they just were not they weren't like that. no 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 they were they were very cerebral yeah 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 but the very first one was or the first or second one was about trucking across space right Do you remember that oh i don't remember it was i read them last probably 30 years ago yeah yeah more than 30 years ago wow. yeah, yeah. Like maybe closer to 40 years ago damn old <laughs> i can probably tell you when i started reading foundation let me think about that would probably be <laughs> i think the first book i read of that whole series was probably robots of dawn you know oh i started with the original series yeah, no no i'm i'm yeah. i'm older than you but i'm not that old um yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh no it was like university for me so like it would have been like 86 maybe so, that's around the t- same time that i was reading yeah. them, i was in high school at the time yeah but, yeah you know but i was reading them back then. Yeah, because I started getting into Arthur C. Clarke and Heinlein, and yep. I think I read a lot of Heinlein before I read uh, Robots of Dawn, so, yeah. Hmm. I also like Poole Anderson. You ever read him? No. Or Paul Anderson. I don't know how it's pronounced, but it was spelled P-O-U-L. Hmm. And Michael Moorcock. Never heard of them. He wrote the Elric books. Are they from the same sort of genre as Heinlein, Asimov, Clarke? Were they later, uh, later guys? Poole Anderson was same kind of genre. Uh, Moorcock was more like the swords and sorcery kind mm, of stuff. Right, yeah. Did you ever read the um, the Myth Adventures, Robert Asprin? Yeah, yeah. I read those. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, he did one like a few years ago. Like, he came back out of hiding and did one. Mm. Oh, those are those are quite good. With the, with the dragon, I remember right? reading the first few of them, and then they, they just kind of got, got old after a while, because mm-hmm. it was an anthology series, you know? And, and after a while, the uh, if I'm thinking of the right one, it was an anthology, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a, there was a demon. There was a guy named... He was a, one character was a demon, and he was a, like a apprentice wizard, and, oh, and he had remember. this dragon. Yeah. That I don't remember. Yeah, the, the guy who Robert Aspern was the guy who wrote them, and he wrote two series of books. I think about it. Thieves World, right? Aspern. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, they had this sort of under underpinning in there. Yeah, American guy. Hmm. Uh, Myth. Of, oh, Fool's Company. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't read many of the Fool's Company, but I've read the Myth Adventures. It was a quite, a, and they were all myth. You know, Mythink Link and Mythink in action, hit or myth. <laughs> yeah, it was one. Oh, he's just done a, misfortunes. Was oh, he did a bunch of them here. Mischief. A bunch of 2008 that he did. I have not read. Hmm. Yeah, I thought he went away for. Oh, yeah. So he came back. Myth quoted was one in 2012, and then 2016 was Misfits. Hmm. I don't know if I read that one. Yeah, my son caught me into those because he's read all of them. What sci-fi have you read, Jaime? Ever recently? I can't think of anything <laughs> I've read recently. Yeah. 
trying to think a while back. I don't know. <laughs> I don't use like Goodreads or anything, so I don't, don't have a good list after I've. Ever... Oh, did I tell you I applied for the the developer kit and got accepted? Yeah, I did, right? You did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, we listened to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and now I'm just messing. With you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Tim, <laughs> I think you absolutely should turn that into a conference talk. What's that? The using the developer transition kit. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets a little bit more value out of the five hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I have seven days to decide whether I want to continue with the application, right? Like, I'm so I'm surprised that, like, again, that people I know who are legit, like James Thompson, for instance, hasn't got one. Manton Reese, I was talking to him earlier today, he hasn't got one. No, like when they're they're like legit Mac developers and they're not getting them, it doesn't make sense. It must be like a, a lottery or something, right? I think uh, maybe. I mean, it depends on how many people are signing up for the kits and if they're yeah. doing any sort of you know combing through for that sort of you know activity as an example um but do you think it's like these like like i've been pretty pretty lucky i got the watch developer watch i got the developer apple tv right i just wonder if there's like because so far somebody's telling me earlier that every canadian they've talked to has gotten approved <laughs> so maybe it's a maybe it's a quota thing like they're only saying so many to the states and so many to uk and whatever but it doesn't make sense yeah i'm not re- i'm not really sure maybe it is you know in batches of this batch you know the, this is the the rubric that they're using but then you know if, if somebody like a james thompson didn't submit immediately you know maybe sat and thought about it for a while like, mm-hmm. oh well you're in the second batch and well sucks to be you because there's a whole bunch of other people who right. uh, maybe met whatever the rubric was right like it's definitely the sort of thing where you don't want to sit and think about it if you're going to do it at all i mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. like you're you're only at an advantage to be in that list early because i don't know that they're uh i don't know that they just say well first 500 people and i don't think they're necessarily going to you know collect everybody wait a little bit see if any Mm -hmm. stragglers go in and then decide i think it's probably on some rolling basis that they're doing it all righty until next time all right till next time talk to you later later. see you guys bye